Welcome back, guys, to the Pod of Greed. That's right. Back to our normal schedule, finally. Uh, it's th- had a few desynchronized weeks. That's true. It's back to Thursday for you guys. Yeah, it's back Wednesday to Thursdays. for us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's stressful. Um, so, yeah, uh, there's a lot going on this time around. Yeah, lots of Yu-Gi-Oh! We got new reveals, new things. New community concerns. Concerns are right. Yeah, yeah concerns, concerns are, right are that's probably it. a word. Like, I'm concerned. I'm personally concerned. Yeah, and other card games too. There's yeah, been there's some, been uh, lots of things going on here and stuff. So. Looking at you, wizards. Yeah, so we it'll be fun. Uh, but first, I think I've got a new review. This is one that I believe I haven't read. It's slightly older. As always, guys, if you follow the podcast on any number of platforms, you know, Google, uh, Amazon, Apple, whatever. Please leave us a positive review. A yeah. five star, everything helps. And it's okay to be honest and give Paula one star and me a five. It's okay. I get it. So this review just says, great to listen to and I get the easy 2-0 at locals. <laughs> <laughs> this guy. That's from Pokey Brolic or Pokey Brolic is his name. So are we easy to listen to if they don't get the 2-0 at locals? Well, I suppose the idea is that if they get the 2-0, then it's like, oh, they have like, 30 minutes to spare. Oh, but, yeah. That's true. But also, that could apply to if you get 2 owed. Like, really quickly, you still would have time now, to... Now, that's something I'm personally yeah. familiar I was with. Saying, I feel like the type of person who listens to this podcast might be the person who went 0-2. But also might be the person who went 2-0. I, th- I think that's Pot of Green listeners are probably pretty skilled. Judging from the, the uh, comments that we get... Yeah, I think people know what they're talking like, about. They sound like they know more than we do. So, yeah, we appreciate that. And, of course... Um, we appreciate you just following the RSS feed on any of those different platforms. All right, we got Yu-Gi-Oh. You said that like like you're not excited. Oh no, I'm excited. <laughs> I'm excited. It's just that it's it's hev- not like heavy topics, but there's a, there's a contentious lot of ones. There's a lot. There's to a talk lot of about. topics. And there's some contentious ones. So, um, first things first, we'll start positive. We've gotten a lot of new card reveals in just the past week. Plenty. I think that the. Biggest one probably came just most recently, and that was like the Diabell Star. There's a new Diabell uh, Star, yeah. sort of lore monster. Um, Diabells. Diabells or Diabelsis. I don't know if, how that. We're, we're, we're not. We don't know how this is going to translate out. Yeah. So you actually play the Sinful Spoils kind of Diabell Star do. deck. I do. With proxies. With proxies. Wanteds are expensive. Y'all leave me alone. <laughs> um, so. But I know, but yeah, Alec follows the lore. So fill us in. What what's it? What are you thinking about? Uh, so I'm gonna start with lore, and then like the cards themselves, like effects wise. Mm-hmm. Lore lore wise, this is it's really cool. Um, you know, Diabelle Star is the seeker of sinful spoils. She goes around looking for these like artifacts and treasures, and then she kind of incorporates them into her like kit that she uses to find more treasures. Mm-hmm. And recently, that was Snake Eyes. Where she um she get she gets her new kind of familiar Snake Eyes Populous. And you see in the Goblin the Goblin Rider story that we're getting in our next set, Phantom Nightmare, that they actually end up kind of kidnapping Populous. Yeah. And then Diabellstar kind of goes John Wick on them. Yeah. But um Diabell's it looks like she just shows up mm-hmm. and snatches Populous from everybody. Yeah. And um, she seems to have her own sinful spoils and her own, like, tricks that she does not mind going head-to-head with Diabelle Star. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. It feels like her um, artwork suggests that, I guess, she is... I mean, Diabelle Star's art kind of is more... Um, she's like, she's, like, 
running it rough a bit. You yeah, know? kind of the ragtag like yeah. treasure hunter. Rogue. Whereas this new monster feels like she's a little bit more like funded. More, yeah, more well funded, <laughs> more well, well funded. to do. Yeah, like she might this have like an be, organization or something that like, like formally hires her. Like she's like a noble versus like more of a peasant. I hate calling the Star a peasant, but but I think also what's probably got more people talking about is her effect. Yeah, and that's so what I want to get into. The effect into. is really interesting. Um, the um, the fact that she can summon herself if either you or your opponent has a sinful spoils, one that's very, that's connected to the lore of her looking for sinful spoils too, but the for the game itself, oh yeah. my gosh. I mean, it's it's a big deal because a lot of people are obviously playing the sinful spoils deck in mm-hmm. different, to different degrees. Either you're teching the engine into something or you're playing it pure, um, and after, you know, Phantom Nightmare and, like, Legacy Destruction, that will probably only be even more true. So, mirror matches will be just honestly crazy. They're going to be toxic. It's actually, it's interesting. This Her announcement came really shortly after, I just remembered, that other just generic Sinful Spoils card that's also in Legacy Destruction, yep. where, like, based on how many Sinful Spoils cards are in a player's graveyard, you can pop cards in their field, mm-hmm. like that whole thing. So there's a lot of sinful spoil stuff going on, but I think the biggest part about Diabellus um, or Diabells is that your opponent can only activate like spell and trap cards that are set. Yes, and that's Walking effectively floodgate. a floodgate against a lot of different things. That means that quick play spells cannot be activated from the hand; they have to be set first. And just as a reminder of game mechanics, you cannot activate quick play spells the turn that you set them. You can activate any other kind of spell, but not quick play spells. So. Th- it makes them kind of useless, kind of. Not yeah, like it means that it really becomes like an anti-spell fragrance for those. For anything else, you could still just set it, like I could set Rhoda and then flip it. Mm-hmm. But that's sort of where her second effect comes in, where when a card gets set, she is able to target a card in both fields and pop it. And so that means she could target the, so she could like pop the thing that was just set, which makes it like hard to kind of resolve a lot of continuous spells yep. and certain like normal spells. And it's it's an, it's an interesting like effect. There's some intended or maybe unintended side effects as well. Poor pendulums. Yeah, pendulums <laughs> as a mechanic just can't function with her because they can't be set. They have to be activated, and they can't be activated while she's in the field. So it's like an anti-spell fragrance, but also she turns off infinite impermanence and evenly matched from being activated in the hand. Even like a so card strong. like super polymerization came to mind for me. So I thought that was just really cool. The the whole way that she kind of operates. I'm really curious to see how the metagame changes when she comes out because mm-hmm. it's fairly obvious you can use you can use this with Diabelle Star just fine. They're actually synergistic in the same deck. They don't step on each other's toes all that much. Mm-hmm. But um for the people who are running Diabelle Star as an engine and those sinful spoils, I wonder if they'll still do that when there's a there's a card that walks around trying to invalidate your strategy of setting your sinful spoils. Yeah, I also think um, she's just going to change the way that like people approach their turn, like you know how you like what order you activate things, how you mm-hmm. try to bait out her effect, um, and will we even see like a decrease in the play of something like Imperm or Evenly just because of her mere presence? Like right. She's a very sh- if that in your main deck really like it certainly it seems, changes things. Yeah, it seems scary. So um, she also got two traps that are kind of about you know setting cards and like being able to revive her uh, or other illusion monsters. Mm-hmm. Which I guess brings you to the next point, which is that she's an illusion monster. Yep, not a spellcaster. So I think that that's 
within the lore, you can actually see like kind of the eye of Wajat or whatever. Yeah, you pointed that out to me on the on her coat. She does have. Yeah, she has that design and um. A couple of things about that. So I guess the first thing is that illusion monsters in the original like lore of Yu-Gi-Oh are supposed to be the counter to spellcaster monsters. Or that, at least to dark magic. Yeah, to like dark magic and that sort of like square of interactivity of like mm-hmm. them and fiends and then white magic and all that. Um, manga heads will know. But as it relates to her, um, it kind of makes sense that she's like Dia Bellstar's rival. So right. she's also kind of the type of monster that would counter her. It makes even more sense when you consider that Diabelle Star is like a dark magician analog. Yeah. So there's a lot just and I, I get, flavor-wise would that happening. Make her, are her stats the same as Diabelle Star's? Yeah, they have identical that stats. That means she's a nightmare magician on analog. Yeah. Now, no um, one used that. Design-wise, it's interesting to see the illusion type, I guess, developing. She's the first illusion monster to not have the battle phase effect. Which Outside I checked, of she, it's not she's not the first, first one. Yeah. There's but, a vanilla um, monster that doesn't either. They, for some reason, the initial illusion monsters have that effect, and yeah. then new ones just don't. Yeah, um, for those who don't know what we're talking about, the illusion type, which was only recently introduced, came out in Duelist Nexus last year. Um, their sort of gimmick, or what seems to be their gimmick, was that they can't be destroyed by battle or destroy other monsters in battle, but like battle damage is still calculated normally. So that's sort of supposed to be their their thing. They usually get they usually usually get an effect if they did battle though. Yeah, so typically the benefit is just that like, you know, you can attack stuff and then get some effect out of it, right? Um I think that it was only a matter of time until they dropped that, like from cards. A, I just thought of, it wouldn't last a little bit longer. Yeah, I thought it would <laughs> maybe last a bit longer. Like psychics and uh five Ds when that came out. Yeah. They had the life point paying effects as sort of their gimmick, and that lasted for a good at least year. Um, but yeah, it seems like they don't really care about that with her. They're no, sort of they like, don't care. She, she's got her own thing going. That said, it would be very annoying if she also was like battle immune or whatever. Yeah. Because being a floodgate monster and then also not being able to be swung over just suddenly adds a whole new dimension. There's one to, more way you can't interact. To, yeah, to the oppression. <laughs> so, um, yeah, uh. I'm interested in her. I, I really think it's cool. I've seen a lot of fan art as well. I'm interested in her as a, as a wild statement. Yeah, no, I'm after, not, not like that. After but, what I saw on Twitter today, as a wild sentence. Yeah. Well, it actually, it did get me to thinking, though. Um, people really seem to like the Diabelle Star story so far. It's like, it's the yeah. new lore story. I've seen a lot of fan art of her. Um, I even saw, like, a OCG, or like a just maybe an OCG player, a Japanese player, or something on Twitter who had made a... 3D model of Diabelle Star and was like having it oh, dance cool. and stuff. And like I think the model, like they'd made the model themselves because I don't think it's just been in a video game or anything to rip no. the asset yeah, out of. They would so, have to put it together themselves. It was a fan-made thing, and I thought that was kind of cool. Like it's almost like, you know, Konami's got a cool thing in their hands that people are kind of getting into. No, maybe don't you don't you do it. You're gonna bring up how they could spin this off into a manga or another anime. We're not, we're not doing this again. Yeah, make a little short. Like, they they won't do it. Engage people around the product. They won't and the new cards do it so that they can actually associate her good good things with like her and her story as opposed to just more dark magician. You just and blue wait eyes. for seven years when the OCG stories for her comes out. Yeah, and like what, like twenty thirty two or something? <laughs> they finally announced it. The Veil Star gets a manga. 
The like um, five years after her meta relevance and after Wanted's been like limited and everything. But it does make sense that people are interested. This is a very different kind of uh, lore character. Up until now, our lore main characters they've all been like these younger male characters. Well, Visas is a bit ambiguous with his age, but he still seems young enough. But uh, we got now we have uh, the girl witch. Who drinks? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I remember people on Twitter were saying like she's a drunken girl failure, which uh, that was my first time hearing that term. Apparently, that's like a, a normal term, a girl failure. So it's like an endearing thing. But um, uh, yeah, I mean, I think she's cool. She seems kind of relatable. She seems not as like self-important as a character as like maybe Visus or Albaz seemed to be. Like maybe it gets there. I don't know. Yeah. Like, so I think that's refreshing. And one last thing about um, Diabelles or Belzis or whatever, new light girl that we're talking about, is that uh, it continues this trend that I've sort of noticed of each of the sinful spoils archetypes kind of taking existing mechanics and using them in unique ways. Mm-hmm. So, like, the Albaz story was all about, like, each one would have, like, a fusion monster, and then, like, you know, that kind of happened. Or with, like, the Visus lore, each of the four major archetypes was a different summoning type. Scareclaws were Link, Skester was Xyz, Tiaralmus was Fusion, and... Um, no, Menadium no. was Synchro. The same was almost true for Albaz because they also all use different summoning types as well. Yeah, but um, with this, the Sinful Spoils are kind of they push monsters into the spell and trap zone. Um, Goblin Riders detach materials from Xyz, mm-hmm. kind of unique too because it doesn't affect the Xyz, so it can get around like those X Pirelli Noir type good. of cards, which is a good thing. Um, and now uh, this new girl just kind of interacts with set cards, like just yep. cards being set or cards having to be set. So I feel like she almost exists to make trap decks have to think a little bit harder. Yeah. Um, certain trap decks, certainly anything that uses quick play spells and just everything. Yeah. So I think that's all I have to say on her. That is fair. We said a lot. We yeah. had a lot to say about her. Okay. Uh, yeah. We don't normally spend this much time on a new card, but she's, you know, probably going to be a high impact thing. You and high in, High in price, too. Um, We'll get there. Real (laughs) quick, I wanted to talk about the Reika archetype, though. Oh, yeah. This got announced. AKA New Tri Brigade. Yeah, it kind of feels that way. So this one's a new archetype of, like, main deck and link monsters. They do feel pretty similar to Tri Brigade in a way. They kind of ladder up their link monsters. And it's uh, it's a multi-type theme being reptile, insect, and, oh, forgot the last one, plant. Yeah. Plant, and insect, and reptile are, I believe, is the, the three types. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I read their cards. I will obviously not like go through and like read each individual one, but the main not not like on podcast, but the main thing is just that they kind of they summon each other and they link up. Now they do seem to banish um, the cards and then recycle the banished cards and stuff a lot, like as kind of as part of their effect. That just sounds like a modern Yu Gi Oh archetype to me. Yeah, so I thought that the art looked really cool. Oh yeah, that that kind of um that dark cyber like samurai thing that they're putting on plants, reptiles and insects, it actually looks sick. Yeah, the aesthetic is nice. It also lock type locks you in yeah. for many of their effects. So um that's good, I think usually we need more type locking in Yu-Gi-Oh in my opinion at least because sometimes Pile decks can get really insane. Like cards can just get a little too generic. Uh, and they nowadays. picked like three types that are not so obscenely strong. Like plants, probably the most supported of those three. 
and that feels like that's only recently have plants um, kind of bounced back into the metasphere. They used to be like huge meta bat way back when, but um, yeah, and like insect and reptile. That's not you know, there's not like, like that's not like rife for abuse or anything. Because the say. last time they were meta was insectors, and bee troopers was trying to get there. Yeah, I would say that that's true. And then as for reptiles, I mean, they've been struggling, like. People had hope for like snake rain to eventually be good, and like, Dota came That's out, and crazy it still didn't matter. And snake rain's been out for so long, and we have not found like the game breaking way yeah. to use it. I mean, it's not to say that like there've been like sparse reptile one off monsters. Kagato Kage has like you know that yeah. kind of thing, or King of the Feral Imps will like search a thing, but yeah, they've had it pretty rough. So I think that this is a new, it's a neat new archetype. Um, it's also in Legacy of Destruction, I believe. So cool not not as much to say on it because i'm just they make one heck of a boss monster yeah what's the boss do again it can i know when your opponent summons something it can like pop to yeah i think your opponent summons it pops to it's got it's a link five got giant attack yeah it's like 3300 or something and it can it can hop out the grave yeah it can it can summon itself back it kind of reminds me a little bit of um the fire princess that's coming in another great nightmare the fire princess link but can't wait yeah so Shout out to Rika, pretty cool. Okay, now we get into probably the meat of the story, but we'll start positive first. <laughs> so, Maze of Memories uh, yes. got its content creator reveals this past week. I was locked in for those. Yeah, that was very exciting. I know going into it, Maze of Memories had a fair bit of excitement and mystery around it. I mean, last year or Maze of Millennia. My bad, I said Maze of Memories. La- that no. last year was Maze of Memories. This I get them Maze confused. Of Weird name, Maze of Millennia. I, what is that? I, 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 like, because Maze of Memories, I'm, so, I'm sorry I'm like, tangenting a little. <laughs> maze of Memories implies that, like, you know, you're kind of trapped in a maze, and it's, like, kind of with flashbacks of things you kind of vaguely remember, right? And the packaging kind of reflects Kind that. of like, you know, ghosts from the past or something, right? Yeah. Um, and it also made sense from the angle of, like, they're releasing uh, Gate Guardian support, like, mm-hmm. in that sense. So it's like the Maze of Memories. This time it's Maze of Millennia, and I don't, really know what that means i think it's just because they want to keep using mom as the um yeah like a <laughs> little acronym yeah but anyways so this time around the legacy thing that we're getting support for is actually flame swordsman yeah and i think that's really cool the flame swordsman cards were revealed at first i thought there were only like two of them but there's like several. there's plenty so, yeah. yeah we've got plenty like to work with as far as flame swordsman people have been looking forward to this for a long time yeah it's old anime stuff everybody likes you know just old right. anime cards to get. Uh, you know, years ago, Paul and I and I, I, other members of APS, we used to make these videos talking about what archetypes would you like to see retrained, even way back when we lived in the dorms. And like people always said Flame Swordsman. It has taken Konami like decades to realize, oh, we can retrain this. Yeah, I think they're finding more and more now that you just take any old thing and retrain it and people will be really happy. Yeah. Um, like, so I'm waiting for uh, the Celtic Guardian, like elf archetype. That'll be fun. Yeah, I feel like Celtic Guardian, Winged Dragon Guardian of the Fortress. I don't want to see that as an archetype. And uh, for some reason, people kind of mentioned Lajin just because he got the lamp. As Lajin a separate would be card. cool. So it's like there's a lot of potential to <gasps> Beaver Warriors. Okay, you're taking it a little far. Oh, okay. But, I, 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 that's too far. Or right. Maybe they will. I mean, they might throw it. Well, you know, I feel like Beaver Warrior could like show up in like a... You know how they in Legacy Destruction are doing like the Yugi deck, but it's like mm-hmm. 
kind of just reinterpreting a lot of his cards into one cohesive archetype. I think they could do that with Wing Dragon, Celtic Guardian, oh, Beaver Warrior. Oh, okay, like a Grandpa Moto deck. A Grandpa Moto, and just like merge them all together where like they're a functioning archetype, and they just center around one spell or trap. Grandpa Moto's cards sucked. I'm sorry, Kaibo was right. I don't know, like... Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yugi's grandpa is like, oh, my, his deck has no pathetic cards. Yeah, uh, yeah, he did. Yeah, he had plenty. <laughs> it had a few. So, um... Yeah, but anyway, the Flame Swordsman stuff is cool. Definitely want to do, like, some sort of a theme duel with that. Uh, mm -hmm. It would be very fun. That versus Gaia or something? Yeah, something Gaia the first Something night. derivative that you like, Yugi play. Joey. Okay. So, I had to get that yawn out, because I got to, uh... Really prepare for this next part. Maze of Millennia is a really cool set, and it has a few meta-impacting cards as well. Just a few. Such as Bonfire. Oh, yeah. oh, oh. That, yeah. Well, that, that's later. That bonfire. Bonfire. But yeah, bonfire, and also Transaction Rollback. Mm -hmm. A really powerful trap that's going to be pretty strong, allows many different decks to access Eradicator, Epidemic Virus, or other sort of trap-like effects for themselves, which is... Pretty scary. That's going to be a pricey and um, meta-defining one, but nothing will be probably more pricey and meta-defining than Bonfire. Yeah, there's a lot of decks that can use that little gen almost completely generic search spell. Yeah, so this is the Pyro Rota. Add one Pyro monster from your deck to your hand. That's it. I yeah, mean, it's that's it. Turn. But this card has been seeing a little bit of controversy because obviously it's going to be really useful in like. You know, the Snake Eyes engine stuff mm -hmm. people are playing. Pre-order prices for the card right now are as high as $130. Yay. Absolutely insane. Thoughts? So, I mean, we know these are these are pre-order prices, right? So, mm -hmm. when, the, when the card actually releases, we're not going to have to pay $130. Some people will because they're crazy, but we don't actually have to. Um... D I wish I could say it's not justified completely, mm -hmm. but we do have to remember that it's an ultra rare in a maze set, which means pull rates for it will be questionable at best. Yeah, questionable. Like, uh, allegedly, we don't have short prints anymore, but why do I feel like it's going to be the ultra rare we see the least of? Don't know what would make you think that. But the point is, uh, it's going to be in demand, which means that people for tournaments are going to need to get their, their bonfires. Not one of them, and not the two is, of them. They're going to want three. For players who compete at like regionals, YCS events, and want to win, they will get their bonfires at any cost. And so, like you said, it's only natural that this card is <laughs> going to end up fetching a really high price. It's a bit of an exhausting story because... We just went through we this. We just went through, or, or still are going through. Like Seeker of Sinful Spoils is a hundred plus dollars, like right now. Last and, I looked, one twenty. Yeah, and you know we still have like the SP Little Knight kind of thing going on. So there really is this kind of unfortunate like rise in just the average price of Yu Gi Oh of the best Yu Gi Oh deck. Right. I, I should, yeah. I, I, let me stop myself because. Well, sorry, go ahead. You first. The uh, I was, I was going to say that, um, and it's put Yu-Gi-Oh! players in a bit of a catch-22. And it's because e it's easy to say, well, if it's too expensive, just don't buy it. You don't need it. You know, I've taken that stance in the past. But even more, I think that's even less relevant here than with SP Little Knight and Wanted. Because 
if you did, if you broke the bank and you got your set, and so you can compete with the Diabell Star Engine or the whole Snake Eyes deck. Now bonfire drops. Yeah, you're locked into. You're, you yeah, you're just kind of locked in. Thing. Are you gonna run the subpar version of the deck? You you already said that you want you got these cards to compete. Yeah, so and you in get a your weird bonfires. way, Konami said they called your bluff. Said, do you really want to compete? Okay, here it is, ultra rare. You need three copies. Yeah, and you know, another thing too is I I think that part of what makes it feel like a bit of a bad look to me is just that like. Pyro like hasn't been supported ever, and as of this nope. last year, it's finally been you know starting to get support. Fire, Pyro, Just aggressive amounts of support, and so we finally get you know the Pyro Rota, something that just seems like wow, it took us this long, right? Twenty five years in the game, you can finally search another type. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's just sort of like I went and did some research. Mm-hmm. Reinforcement of the Army or Rota released as a super rare in Legacy of Darkness. Best you, you set were of all time. That out. Best set of all time. But also Fossil Dig was in, I believe, Ancient Prophecy, and it released as a common. That's not the GOAT set. And Fire Formation Tinky, which is sort of the equivalent for like, you know, Beast Warriors, released in Cosmo Blazer as a common. So the trend here is that, you know, when there's like a Type encompassing search spell, mm-hmm. right? This isn't like an archetypal thing. This isn't even like a wanted seeker, sinful spoils, or an adir servant. This is just you know, add one pyro monster. So a card that's meant to obviously be useful in the Diabell Star kind of snake eye thing, but also, but also many decks, but also many things. Like if you're an anime fan and you've been waiting for you know volcanic support for Shout years, out pain. then you finally got it last year. Except now the search spell that would make it, you know, more consistent, because let's face it, volcanics aren't the most consistent thing in the world. The search spell is this card. An ultra rare with a huge price in secondary market. Now, Konami, we have to be fair to them. They are not making you pay $130. As bad as this story can like feel, Konami is not telling you to buy any particular thing. They're telling you to buy a sealed product. Yeah, Konami just wants you to buy, you know, more Maze of Memories. And whether or not you pull Bonfire, Maze of Millennia, sorry. (laughs) Yeah, I'll never get that right. You know, they just want you to buy more Maze of Millennia packs. And if you pull some Bonfire, it's good. And if you don't, guess you got to buy more until you do. Or trade at your local card shop. Trade. Just trade. (laughs) So, you know, I'm not... I just think that knowing what the... Here's a better way to put it. We're celebrating the 25th anniversary this year, right? That's kind of the... the No, it's 2024 now. It's still happening, remember. (sighs) According to Konami, anyway. So here's the thing. We're we're 20... Till they sign 25 years into this game. Right. They know what it means to print a card as an ultra rare in a set like this. Like Konami, you know, product design. So like they, they're aware of what they kind of the, what the side effect of that will be. That ultra rares are impossible. To yeah, pull. and these side sets, they kind of know the pull rates. It's going to be rough. So I really think that they, 
this really just should have been like a, a super or whatever, like a common in the set. Like, it's just given that precedent shows that yeah. cards like this are typically lower rarity. Yeah, like Fossil Dig was like it. Tinky was like it. Roto was a super, but then quickly, quickly became a common in like every other set under the sun. And all those cards, you could argue, is just as impactful for their times as this card is now. Tanky so, was huge. Yeah, Rota Tinky was, was huge. Big, yeah. Fossil Dino was probably the only one that wasn't yeah, that a big one, deal in release, took, but now is quite good. So it's just kind of like, man, Konami, just print it a lower rarity. Come on. Just make it a little easier for everyone. Mm-hmm. Because, uh, moving a little bit further into the story, the backlash to this has been huge. It's reignited that, obviously, you know, players, a lot of players don't like it, and it's reignited that conversation of like, the haves and the have-nots, right. right? The proletariat and the bourgeoisie are back, and there's the, that conversation I'm, around. I'm on the side of people this time, so I'll make that perfectly clear. You know, I, I'm, I'm I'm against I'm against the. Uh, are, 1%. You know, are you are you rich or are you poor? Can you afford it or can you not? And you've got the people who are saying like, it they should have printed it common and blah 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 blah. But then there's also the people who are like, well, if you can't afford it, then Yu-Gi-Oh is not for you. You might as well quit or like whatever. And there's like people trying to walk the middle, and there's so many different angles. And I've seen Twitter arguments get a little nasty. People are insulting each other. I will say this, guys. Uh, you gotta rem- before you jump into arguments about this. Even though I know it's impossible to stop yourself, but just, just hear me out. Before you get into arguments about this, you gotta remember like who you're arguing with. If it's a content creator, remember uh, most like competitive content creators. Uh, yeah, they can afford these cards. It's very easy for them. They're going to get the, the stand if they there's the stances that they argue on are their own. It, you know, it doesn't have to actually apply to you. And if if you're talking if you're arguing with a competitive player. They have to get the like, and I'm talking about like the true pros who top like ha- ev- almost every event. Those guys, they have to get the cards. They will get the cards. It doesn't matter how expensive the cards are. They'll. It's a foregone conclusion that they're getting them. Yeah. Now, like for the rest of us, us normal people. I, yes, I'm a content creator, but my my pockets are very normal. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's we it, don't have to like really argue with them over this i think that it's it's a it's i get what you're saying i think a big problem that this kind of this it's like a second problem to the first problem the first problem is that this is expensive and like the average player kind of has a tough time getting it it's a pain the second part is that like there's a difference in the type of people that like play and are engaging with this card because like you said okay if you're a competitive player like you're gonna have your bonfires it, the cost was never a thing they will have them um Meanwhile, though, it's like an accessibility thing, and it's kind of weird because people do look to their content creators to kind of advocate for these sorts of issues, right? right? Or they expect the content creator, it's a, it's a weird parasocial thing maybe creeping up there where it's like, you know, the content creator is a reflection of me. Like, they kind of stand for the little guy, or they should, or, you know, they should. I'm not naming any so, names, but there are many content creators who at least have posited and positioned themselves as voices of the people. That is true. Yeah, so, you know, you might want. Like, so, like, I've seen, like, arguments kind of back and forth around that. Like, that's some of what's popped up on Twitter. Um, and there's also just, there's the crowd that kind of says, well, if you can't afford to play Yu-Gi-Oh, tough shit, right? Like, too bad, it's not for you. Like, some people will say that. Like, I think that's a very just, harsh angle to it, take, but... For some reason, I can't get it out of my head. It's like, there's some, like, 23-year-old saying it. Because they, they, they know the world. Yeah, they get it. <laughs> they get it. They get how things work. <laughs> All right, we're getting off topic. The point yeah. is, I what do we? I mean, 
There's nothing we There's can nothing do. There's nothing we do. I, I mean, think the best you hope for is that these pre-order prices are inflated, and maybe the reality is this card is like eighty dollars instead of a hundred and thirty or something. I guess we can. We can. I mean, we can do what we always do. We try to vote. We try to be vocal with Konami about these things. You know, call it out in the spaces where we can without getting disrespectful or like racist. Let's not do that. Yeah, people will get but, nasty. Um, yeah, don't do that. But try to. Make your voices heard on these matters. Try to uh, vote with your wallet a bit. You know, if you, if you're, if you're not trying to compete with these cards, maybe just don't. Just hold off. A just bit. try. I, 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 really it's a pain. It's a pain. Say, that's the thing. That's the that's like where the real issue comes in. It's like we don't no have a choice. Make, yeah, like no one's making you buy the card. No one's making you buy Bonfire on TCG Player today. Right? You don't have to do anything. But at the same time, this is. It's fucking Rota for pi- for like Pyro. Like that's the problem I have with it is that this isn't them locking kind of a more complex or specific mm-hmm. card. It's it's like a Rota for a type. It's it, it's sad. Py- it, it makes you wish Pyro never became meta because now it's an assault on the casual duelist because that because that honestly no one competed with pyros before snake eyes came out yeah. nobody was doing that any pyro support that was on the horizon was for the casuals yeah that's what we thought yeah it seemed that way and then now it's different i think so here's what here's my kind of take on it is you know sometimes konami will print a card and they'll reprint it weirdly soon after i think they should do that with this card i agree i think this is one instance where Bonfire needs a printing within the next like three months mm-hmm. afterwards, where it's pretty quick and it's just just throw it into make it a if not a common like a super in some weird other side set. I don't know. I just I don't think that this is the right card for them to be pulling this kind of a stunt with. Agree. And I'm and I'm calling it pulling a stunt because. The, it's the point where 25 years in, we Konami knows what it means to print a card like that at a time like this and a rarity like that. It, it, they did like, it on purpose. It's completely contrived. Like, like, like they knew, like they knew going into it, that the intention is for it to not be the easiest thing to pull. Fine, but like these side sets, that rarity, this timing, Snake Eyes is good. Like it's it's rough. Like Konami just wants to move cases. That's all they care about, and. They will take cards like this and put it at the forefront of the set to motivate you, the average consumer, to get as much product as you can, or you have to buy the singles. Yeah, and again, you know, Konami does not make you buy a single, right? That 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 is all on you. But the I think that the pieces can be in place to allow a situation that we we've seen so many times before just repeat itself. So, Paul, I have a question. Okay. Is the situation with Bonfire better or worse than the current situation with Wanted? I think it is worse. Mm. I think it's worse because Bonfire is Rhoda. Whereas Wanted is like a specific card for a specific archetype, and not everybody wants to necessarily, like, is into Diabella Star or into that. But lots of people just might, like, like a larger group of people just have a pyro deck. Have a but pyro thing on the bright side, play. though. It's only an ultra rare as compared to one a secret rare, right? I don't know. Okay, so to be fair, I don't know how the exact rarity things shake out on these sets. Like, I don't know what what is the pull rate for a maze of millennia ultra compared to a secret rare in a mainline set. 
And I'm not like saying that as hyperbole. I actually don't know how those two things compare. My experience from Maze of Memories last year was that like a single box, I think, gave me three ultras. So I think it's kind of got that like Wild Survivors like kind of spin off set level. So if that's the case, I don't know. Well, maybe maybe the set only has like four ultras. I mean, we know I'm it's wrong, aren't I? I'm very yeah, wrong. I, mean, I don't know how, exactly how many off the top of my head. Well, that's but. weird. Because, see, in a main series set, there aren't. How many secrets do we usually get in a main yeah, series? Yeah, main line set? sets, I think, have like eight secrets. Like eight I secrets. Say, yeah, so. In your box, you could usually expect to get two. And, uh, you know, that's as far as fair as it gets in Yu Gi Oh! Yeah, I mean, here, if you're getting, like, I think, a, on average, like three ultras out of a pool of. I want to say it's maybe like. 12 or something, 16. It might be about what and what. It might, like it might and hey, be. Hey, and allegedly, there's no more short printing in this game, so you should have a fair enough chance at a pulling it. But I, I, I feel bad because now it feels like I'm advocating for buying steel products when it's this is all just kind of garbage. I think that... The, what do you mean? Like just the like the situation in general. Yeah, it's that's like, hey people. guys, pull the gotcha because it's your best chance of getting this card. Yeah, and it, it's pretty. I, I mean, the last thing I'll say about it is that maybe at the end of the day, this is all just Yu-Gi-Oh as intended. Like yeah, this, this is all this, this is card games as they're supposed to be, and Yu-Gi-Oh as it's supposed to go, and like you should just this is what. When you play Yu-Gi-Oh, this is what you kind of sign up for. I hate that, that it is that way, but this is just, this is what it is. Like, you should not be any more surprised by this situation than you were by the same thing happening, like, last year with Barone or Thrust or anything. You know what I mean? And speaking of Thrust, Thrust is also in the set as a reprint. And I think that's actually pretty cool. Um, I don't know that, you know, it's... I think it's probably going to be obviously cheaper than Bonfire. Triple Tactics Thrust was getting up to about 100 bucks at mm-hmm. points last year. Um, so this is a nice reprint announcement. I feel that it being Ultra is a little bit rough still. Like, it would be yeah. nice if it was maybe like a Super or something. But um, it's I mean, still cool. It's still a, a very impactful card. And if you are spinning the gacha trying to pull your uh, Bonfires, you're undoubtedly going to get some thrusts along the way. Mm-hmm. I think I think for the most competitive players, they have their thrust. But if you don't already have your thrust, it's just, it does give you a decent yeah. enough reason to try and open a box or two. And Junk Warrior uh, also the, is the QCR in this. I, I don't. I, yeah, there's a QCR. I feel nothing for this. Well, here's what's special about it, though. It does have an alternate art, which I know like if you don't care about Junk Warrior, well, whatever. But I'm going to call out one thing I like about it, which is that there's only one QCR in this set, and that's it. Oh, good. And I think that's probably... I, I've kind of been advocating a bit more for like only like one QCR in a lot of these Though sets. It is weird like that 50. the QCR is a very random card in this I don't case. Know what, yeah, I don't know what Junk Warrior has to do with like... Any thematically of Thematically Maze of Millennia. That feels like, kind of like DM feeling. Of I don't know. That, I think they might just be kind of trying to like slip in... Just trying to get that card just out. Just kind of slip in a few of these like alt art ace monsters into random products in the hopes that it just I guess it, works out. I because they did it this way, I'm assuming that means we can't, we shouldn't expect any major synchro or five D's related products in the next year. At least it would have been easier to slip it in there. I would think. Yeah, you would think so. So 
Hmm. So that's Maze of Millennia. I will be purchasing a couple of boxes on my own dime, as I do. I will be also. Yeah, I'm going to try to open them, see what we get. We'll see how it goes. I want to build um, Flame Swordsman for definitely like a theme duel of some kind. I have a Snake Eye deck, so I'm locked in. Yeah, Alec is kind of forced into the matter. <laughs> and I, um, you know, I would love to pick up a few thrusts. I don't have any copies yeah, of it yeah, that'd be That would be cool. So. I will gladly take them. If I pull thrusts and you pull and you pull bonfires, can I trade you my thrusts? Yeah, we'll for have your a bonfire? trade. Okay, cool. Yeah, I don't have. We don't, don't worry about the. We won't worry about the dollar. Yeah, we won't, we won't, we won't worry, worry about, about the dollar. About that. Okay, moving on. Master Duel got an update, so <gasps> that's pretty cool. I have to break some news to the to the audience. Oh, okay. All right, guys. So last week uh, I did say that I was going to play Master Duel, build super heavies, and play with all the new support and have a good time. Um, I didn't know at the time that I lied. I did, but I want I want to make this clear. I did try to make good on it last night, but Master Duel was in maintenance. Yeah, and, you uh, thought that they were probably coming out a day or two before this. Yeah. So, so um, as of the time of when the viewers hear this, they'll have it'll been yeah. accessing stuff for like twenty four hours or more. But but um, but I, I'm I'm going to do it. Like I, it's on everything. So yeah, the big update is out. Um, the ban list is in effect. The one that we talked about a few year, few weeks back, a few years back, years. a few weeks back. But also some new uh, cards are in the game. So obviously you can get like more Dynamorphia cards. They're introducing Transcendosaurus. Those two types can even kind of be played together in some cases because they're both dinosaurs. They are both dinosaurs. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, no, the, those Dynamorphia dinosaurs they cute. I don't know what that what's that's about. Like yeah, that, like, there's also um. Nemalaria is introduced. Oh, yeah. So Nimalaria. that's pretty cool. Um, some more Visus cards and Super Heavy Samurai. Um, what do you mean by cute? What? Anamorphia? Yeah. I always found them kind of like threatening looking. Really? Yeah. That like uh, compared to like Ultimate Conductor Tyranno, like that girl is pretty cute. I was like, wow, that's a cute dinosaur. Interesting. What? Well, I'm wrong. Anyways, they added a okay, new mate, I'm just wrong. Soul Eating Oviraptor, um, which actually I thought that was a, p- a pretty cool idea for. I mate. disagree. What would you have preferred? Like the baby Cerasaurus or the petite Pteranodon? You know what? You're right. That actually would have made it better. I th- but I think that's because I, I lean towards the idea of your mate look more like a mascot, and more in a more traditional sense. They seem to just want to make any cool monster into a mate. Yeah, they have been changing the mates from cute mascot to just like part of the arc like whatever kind of a, a crucial card of, of given archetype You're, now every deck stratos is going to be a mate oh god wait a minute stratos is a mate isn't he yeah every stratos will be a mate they basically that's kind of common like a lot of the stratos cards um hanzo got one so. hanzo's a mate either way yeah so we have a soul eating over after mate it says a dinosaur shrouded in a soul eating aura those who see the strange patterns on its body and the maniacal look in its eyes are overwhelmed. What does that mean? You know what's kind of funny about the Master Duel like descriptions for mates and stuff is they tend to seem like kind of rough translations. Like, like it was like it was written in Japanese and then it's kind of mm-hmm. like roughly translated into English, and so it will sort of say like the sentence will just end abruptly. Like you know, those who see the strange patterns on its body and the maniacal look in its eyes are overwhelmed. Like, like it, it feels like it kind of ends on a bit of a like, 
Oh yeah, okay. And it's it's an effect monster, so we have no lore on it. So this this was a chance to like give us something to like know about this monster, and all that is is a deconstruction of its name and the artwork. Yeah, soul eating over after. Well, anyway, um, there's also pendulum sleeves, pendulum green. They released. Is um, that is that like that radio burst kind of thing? Oh yeah, they yeah, printed those. They have, they have they have RRL OCG sleeves like that. Yeah, a lot of those IRL OCG sleeves have been in, put into Master Duel. Different ones with like monsters on them, different attribute based ones. Mm-hmm. Shame that we can't get those in the TCG for the 25th anniversary Konami. Well, so shops have been importing them. I bought, I bought mine. Yeah, but when the shops import them, you have to pay like 25 bucks because they, they imported it. This is, this is Yu Gi Oh! We spend a lot of money regardless. Well, see, the thing is, Konami, I really do think like that's like a. You know, like we, we get on this podcast, like seriously, like we get on this podcast. And we'll talk about, like, these, like, kind of sweeping things Yu-Gi-Oh! can do, right? Mm-hmm. Like, changing rarity distributions or introducing these alt formats. And, like, realistically, a lot of that stuff isn't going to happen. It's no. Konami. They're going to just kind of... They're going to get by. But I think that, like, importing attribute sleeves, like, here's the water ones, here's the fire... Like, that feels like kind of an easy The more simple you thing. make it, the more comp- complex it becomes for them. I have no idea why. It just seems to be the case. There's a super heavy samurai prodigy Wakaushi 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 um, icon that you can purchase. Um, a dreaming Nemalaria icon. So it's the girl. She's asleep. An icon depicting a girl having sweet dreams. A dreamy state in a strange world, but some kind of amazing power lurks within. That's... Like That's a strange icon. Guys, let me know if uh, you buy the Nemalaria icon and why you did it. Yeah, um, and for the Super Heavy Samurai, it says, an icon depicting something lingering in a moonlit parapet with two colored eyes. The sight of it flying about gallantly in unwavering duels reminds one of a gifted prodigy. So, you know what's hilarious about that? You said the name of it, and I couldn't bring up its appearance in my head. And you just read its description, which describes the artwork, and I still have no idea what you're talking about. Well, either way, it's this. So, Ah, oh, what? <laughs> yeah, there's an Earth icon frame, an Earth deck box that you can purchase, and uh, another you know, the other selection pack has like the Visa stuff and all that stuff. So, yeah, there's a lot of new stuff in Master Duel. I have not actually gotten a chance to play. I wanted to play last night when the update was like just gone live, but I fell asleep. So You probably- did play some Fortnite, though. Yeah, I tried out some Fortnite. That was fun. We got them, guys. Fortnite racing mode. That was cool. But, um, yeah, so this will all be in Master Duel. I'm interested in seeing how the meta shakes up. Everyone's saying that, like, Super Heavy Samurai is going to kind of be the next big thing. I'm a little disappointed to hear that because I know that it's not really the Super Heavy Samurai that, like, Gong would be proud of. It's, uh, You're not playing any spells. Yeah, it's more of a just combo pile. It's thing, an insane but. combo fest. But it's cool. So hop on Master Duel, check it out, uh, have some fun with it if you if you got the time and interest to do so. I think that's all for Yu Gi Oh. Uh, let me double at check. Least, at least sure. majorly that I have seen. Yeah, yeah. I think we covered everything I had. Yeah, Maze of Millennia. By the way, will be out next week. So get your pre-orders in and attempt to pull those bonfires. Okay. With Yu-Gi-Oh, out of the way, we can get into some other stories. There are more card games than just Yu-Gi-Oh. I know this pod would have you thinking otherwise, but there are. Yeah, hit me with the good stuff. What's a what's a card game story to, to start us off? All right, so. Because I've got one. 
It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a big one, like a hard hitting. Well, yeah, but I want to. We'll start. We'll start. All right. So, Dexerito put out this article, which article. It's really someone writing Dexerito. about. A, they're writing about a Reddit thread, and these now, are these are great. Anyway, but it's uh, we can't give them that much crap. We've done that on here. We yeah, just read I mean, Reddit threads for content. Yeah, but so. only at least, but they're like writing it as it and putting their name as an author, like. Anyway, so Pokemon TCG player shares the hard truths about collecting. Because like we all know, uh, collecting Pokemon cards is one of the biggest, most booming uh, things in the TCG space. Many people get into it because they love Pokemon. Many get into it because they heard they can make a quick buck on it. Well, I would like to hear the hard truths. Well, this Reddit on this Reddit Reddit thread, they are going to share the truth of it all. Yeah, I'm I'm waiting. I'm with bated breath for the truth about the Pokemon TCG. All right, so check this out. A user on the Pokemon TCG Reddit created a thread about the hard pills that need to be swallowed when collecting Pokemon TCG cards. These include base set cards not being worth much, Charizard being overpriced, and Reddit posts about opening God tier pulls being faked for attention. I initially speaking, I believe all three are true. Uh, other users also had advice to share. Some This is a quote. The reason base set and other older sets are super valuable is because very few people kept sealed products safe for 20 plus years. And there just isn't much of it to go around. Mm-hmm. Storing cases of modern sets with the intent to sell them in 20 plus years won't net you as much as you're hoping because there are thousands of other people doing it right now. That's very true. That's a big, um, that's a big thing around like just... We've talked about it on this podcast before is like the reason why old stuff is valuable is because no one knew. Mm-hmm. So like the Yu-Gi-Oh kind of equivalent is like 10,000 Dragon, for instance, when that right. like came out. That's not I mean, you know, it, it isn't going to be like if you're opening it and immediately like keeping it in per- pristine condition and getting it graded, that's fine for yourself personally. But like you shouldn't really expect it to become like it's not going to make you a millionaire, you know, a millionaire in like ten years. Because everyone years, that has a ten thousand dragon is holding it, keeping it in pristine condition. So I can <laughs> see why in Pokemon it kind of is the same thing, like just buying a Paldean Fates or whatever the sets are called. Like you know, that's not yeah, like because everyone's kind of trying that. So. So they say also Pokemon card investing is for people who are already rich. One user said, you're going to need the time, capital, and storage space to buy cases and hold for five to ten years. That's very true. Yeah, I think um, it's, it reminds me again of a Yu-Gi-Oh thing where there's a lot of players that I've seen, you know, just in my in my years who kind of want to be, you know, the wannabe vendor. Mm-hmm. Where they kind of hear, like, of the idea of vending as a way to, like, you know, make a quick book. I buy a card for $4 and sell it for 6 Hey, the basics of economics. But. Um, or commerce. Like, you know, the capital needed to start that is huge. It's honestly the same thing as, like, investing normally would be, like, buying one stock of one company doesn't, like, really mean much of anything. Yeah, it won't make like you a rich. Share of com- I a guess company. it could, but it's unlikely. But, like, it's the people who can buy, like, you know, 50 shares in this company or that's something. how you grow wealth right like that's kind of the big thing so yeah i can see where in pokemon it's sort of the same story like do you have the kind of just ability to actually buy the amount of cases or whatever needed to like mm-hmm. get all these cars and move them and store them and all that so 
Checks and out. this person goes on to say, at which point you better effing hope that the sales prices, less shipping and fees beats inflation. It's been almost four years and I can still get vivid voltage boxes under MSRP. Not every set is going to be evolving skies. Right. I like how we say those words as though we know like what was in those sets or something. Actually, I do. Vivid Voltage came out right around the time I took an interest in the game. Okay. Which it one? had a weird Pikachu in it. Yeah, no, one had like a, a Charizard. I don't know. I, I, I'm not saying that in like a like, generic That's like every set. Way, I don't know but, what to say. <laughs> but I do remember there was one around that time. I think it had like a, a Charizard card that was like kind of talked about. <laughs> one had a Charizard. Yeah, there's something about those generic things you hear about the news. Like, local boy uh, pulls, a pulls a Charizard. <laughs> and it turns out it's like a $2 one from. Anyway, um, yeah, no, that, I mean, that makes sense. I think that what a lot of people are finding is just that, like, shipping costs and like stuff like that does add up like that that mm-hmm. kind of goes in that's back to that second point where like you can pull like if i open a Yu-Gi-Oh pack today and it costs me four bucks or whatever four dollars fifty cents and i pull like a ten dollar card from it let's say yeah it seems good because like i made my money back but i didn't actually make my money back until i've actually made the money mm-hmm. from it the card kind of sitting in my hand like i still have to find a person who's willing to buy it which can be difficult and then i have to like transport it to that person whether that means going to locals and giving it to them with a small price of gas and time whatever or having to sell it online on like tcg player or ebay at which point i've got to now pay shipping and fees and seller fees and you know at that point is the nine or ten dollar card getting me nine or ten dollars not even it close. might be getting me closer to like six after everything so yeah and, there's something in order there to like sure. build like make this a company and build wealth off of something like this the scale you have to operate in means your overhead will be quite large you're because yeah. store because storing a few cards is one thing storing enough cards to like, actively have a business is a whole other thing you need space it has to be climate controlled. Oh, for sure. Like, then you're going to yeah. need envelopes on envelopes, top loaders on top loaders. And likely a couple of employees. You, you, people it's, to sort, it's not a one person to, thing. to mail stuff out. And suddenly, like, you realize that, yeah, this, this whole vendor thing isn't, like, you know, this huge lucrative business. It's kind of more of a, like. It's a business business. You're getting by, so. <laughs> so it's a normal business. Anyways, what else do our Reddit friends have to say? Let's see. Our Redditors. I'm trying to open up the actual Reddit thread, but it's fighting me. I mean, I honestly think those are some really nice highlights, just if you wanted to. Okay, here we go. So, <clears throat> your base set cards aren't worth nearly as much as people make you think they are. On the other hand, your e-reader cards are worth a lot more than you think they are. Charizard in any form will always be overpriced. Ripping packs might be fun, but it's by no means a smart way of finishing a set. It also encourages a gambling and spending addiction. Your V cards are basically bulk. The majority of Reddit posts bragging about opening a good, a god pack are staged for attention. And that would that these were the bullet points of the uh, initial post. I wish that they'd gone into detail. The, the staging part is kind of an interesting one. But that's just Reddit. Everyone just fakes things on there. Yeah, people lie. I, um, but sorry, go ahead. I say I just remember when I didn't know that, and you were like, "Yeah, everything on on Reddit's fake." And oh yeah, what were you on? Uh, um, are like, am I the asshole? Or yeah, whatever? that one. Ita. All those. All like, I feel like most of the posts on there 
they were just faking it to. Yeah, people fabricate and they lie and they. I think the the times that I most doubt Reddit is like us kind of tangenting a little, but like the times I most doubt Reddit are when like it'll be like on some Ask Reddit thread or whatever, and someone will come in and be like, "Um, as a doctor, I can attest that this thing is true or not true," and I'm just like. <laughs> Sure, you're a fucking doctor. Sure, you are. Like, okay. And I'm the prime minister. Like, everybody, can, anyone can just claim expertise on a subject. Like, oh, I'm a doctor. I, I work in this field. Oh, I work in, and you can say that to like kind of try to give yourself credibility in these like Reddit arguments, and you'll see people get exposed sometimes. Like, well, as a lawyer, there. I can yeah. let you guys know who's right and who's wrong as in this a argument. So, um, but getting back to the Pokemon thing, I do think that people faking. You know, Faking those, like, I got a god pack. Me, a regular normal guy, just, like, bought one pack today at Target, and it had everything. And the thing is, like, resealing packs is is actually an easy thing to do. Um, yeah, it's act- it's not all that hard. You need you need a few materials. You need some glue. You need to pu- carefully open the pack in the first place. Tell us more about it, Alec. But, I mean, I just, I've never done it. <laughs> I was like- joking. But, no, I... <laughs> Uh, but yeah, resealing is pretty normal and apparently more common in Pokemon than in any other game. Because like heard. the open, the opening community in Pokemon is so large, you can gain some garner, not gainer, garner gainer. so much attention for opening up rare cards. My, many people think it's worth it. I I'm mean, it's also it's like a social media thing too. Like I'm sure it's not just Reddit. I mean, like there's just lots of Yugi, to YouTubers, Pokey like opening channels that just kind of like it. There's a certain amount of, like, playing it up for the camera, right? Mm-hmm. Like, your favorite content creator probably opened mini packs before they got the big pack, and they only, like, edited they edited the video such that, like, the big pack was the only thing you saw them open. Or, like, you know, they kind of crafted a story where it's, like, you know, bad pulls, bad pulls, promising pull, bad pulls, bad pulls, promising pull, bad pulls, bad pulls. Whoa! Big moment! Right at the eight-minute mark in the video! <laughs> yeah, right where I can add mid-rolls or something like that. So... <laughs> You know, not and, listen, and we're not specifically. Yeah, I'm, I'm like, not like targeting, targeting anybody. Here's the thing: I I've done my fair share of like clickbait. You know, I've stretched a video to eight minutes before to add ads, and I'm not I haven't. I'm, I just want you guys to know that. Sure. Whenever Paul's like, can you make hit the eight minute mark? Alice says, No, I can't. I can't <laughs> do it. Right. So I think that this Reddit thread, though, like these people are making totally valid points and yeah. ones that I would actually say to be like serious for a moment. You know. If you are trying to get into like opening Pokemon packs, like this, this is all advice worth heeding. Yeah. So, um, and this is from somebody who just, I don't even open Pokemon packs. I open like some Yu Gi Oh packs, and I know it's the same story. Uh, you're not going to make your fortune uh, opening up uh, TCG products. That's just not going you're to really happen. Not. Yeah. Like the ship has sailed, like with like the crypto boom and everything else. Once someone has made a million dollars doing something, I promise you, no one else is going to be able to do that. Yeah, anything. not not that you can't just replicate that for sure. Okay, well, I've got a story. All right, what you got? So, um, I got a little bit of AI. I know you're typically the one to bring the AI story. Alan Iverson, bold, but um, this time around, this is going to be me. AI. It's Wizards of the Coast, our friends. Oh, they're back in the news for a story that actually had started when we recorded last week's podcast, but we did not talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, Wizard of the Coast admits using AI art after banning AI art. So this happened on X or Twitter. Oh, my favorite website. I did not actually see this as a like news headline, but rather I organically saw the post on X. It mm-hmm. showed up on my feed in some form or another from the Wizards of the Coast account. And it was like um, somebody quote tweeting it. 
And they were like, this is like AI bullshit. And I was like, okay, what, what are they talking about? What is this? Um, well, let's see here. Let's see how the article puts it. Magic the Gathering publisher Wizard of the Coast has been forced to admit that it published a marketing image for the game featuring, quote, some AI components, unquote. Some. Despite an initial insistence that the art was, quote, created, quote, <laughs> created by humans and not AI. Uh, Wizard of the Coast had banned the use of AI artwork in its products in 2023 after AI-generated artwork appeared in a Dungeons & Dragons sourcebook and caused an outcry. And that was only a few months ago. So, yeah. The image, which has since been deleted, was posted on... X by the official Magic the Gathering account on January 4th. It showed five magic cards resting on a valve-powered device next to a pressure oh, gauge. okay, that picture. Yeah, in a okay. brass and wood-filled steampunk laboratory setting. The uh, caption for it said, It's positively shocking how good these lands look in retro frame, the post read. So while that picture has since been deleted, of course, uh, I will, it's still been on the internet, I will find it and I'll try to remember to put it in the podcast so everybody here, or like watching the video can see. The image has been deleted now, but yeah, many fans were quick to point out elements in the image that bore the hallmarks of generative AI, in particular difficulty rendering fine details in a consistent way, around bunches of cables, for example, or on the dial of the pressure gauge. But the Magic account initially dismissed these claims. They said, "We under, this is on January 6th, I believe, we understand the confusion by fans given the style being different than the card art, but we stand by our previous statement, the publisher replied. In Ooh. another since-deleted post, this art was created by humans and not AI. They doubled down. Yeah, so they doubled down. People kept calling them out. They're like, are you guys really about, like, are you really trying this? People are pointing out, here, this doesn't fit. Here, this line is, like, blurred and weird. Here, this, like, detail smudges. And, um... Wizards of the Coast insists, again, that, like, this is, this is real. human made this. Um, a few days later, Wizards of the Coast acknowledged that it had been mistaken. Well, um, we made a mistake earlier when we said that a marketing image we posted was not created using AI. Now it's a marketing image. Yeah. As you, our diligent community, pointed out, it looks like some AI components that are now popping up in industry standard tools like Photoshop crept into our marketing creative. Oh, Okay. Yeah, even if a human did the work to create the overall image. Uh, the publisher continued, While the art came from a vendor, it's on us to make sure that we are living up to our promise to support the amazing human ingenuity that makes magic great. We already made clear that we require artists, writers, and creatives contributing to the Magic TCG to refrain from using AI generative tools to create final magic products. I, okay, I need you to do something for me, Paul. Yes. I need you to go back to the tweet before that and just read out, read it aloud one more time about them claiming it wasn't AI. We understand the confusion by fans, given the style being different than the card art, but we stand by our previous statement. The publisher replied, this art was created by humans and not AI. Okay, so that's that's the thing. So in that post, and I think the initial post before it, they referred to it as art. Yeah. They, they were allying themselves with this picture and putting their foot down. This is Magic the Gathering art. Yeah. But in this latest tweet. Yes, yeah, words it, change a little is bit. Is it now, what, what they call it? A, um, it's a marketing image. A marketing image. Yeah, it is a, it is a marketing <laughs> image um, and not art. And also you'll notice a few other words have kind of changed. Like I noticed that they kind of say our diligent community pointed out. So as as Zoda kind of suggests, yeah, like you guys are doing such a bang Good up job, job, guys. Even though, like you know, just yesterday we claimed that you were all wrong. We were trying to gaslight y'all. <laughs> yeah, there was definitely a little bit of gaslighting. Um, and then they also kind of mentioned how like 
these are components that are now popping up in industry standard tools like Photoshop. Now they're blaming the platform. Which kind of makes it, yeah, that kind of seems like a bit of like a shrugging it off on like, well, everyone's doing it. Industry, <laughs> the industry's doing it because this is like an industry standard. You know, Photoshop yeah, is like, just doing it. So everyone's been using Photoshop. Like, I don't know how many of you guys use Photoshop. Paul's use it quite a bit. I've used it much less. But I can tell you this. Um, Photoshop just doesn't like load in AI into your pictures. It doesn't just like magically AI your work. Yeah, I, that's the thing. Photoshop has the generative AI tools. And I think that, which I'll get into later, is I think that using them is not a sin. Right, but you I do have, have used, to choose to use. Yeah, them. I have used like Photoshop, some of Photoshop's generative AI tools. <gasps> yeah, I know. What? So the thing isn't like using him. I think it's the denial thing, mm. and maybe just more of like the community response and then like Wizards' response and kind of that back and forth thing instead of just like kind of acknowledging it. Like, I'll get into that in a second. But to finish their statement, they um, say that yeah, you know some. AI components cropped up into our marketing creative, even if a human did the work to create the overall image. So that sort of suggests that, like, a human made some parts of it and not others. They don't go into detail about what that is, since there's so many image, parts of the image that, like, when you look at it, seem like it's all just a prompt. And the only human part was, like, literally the card images being placed in there, like... Yeah. So it's like, I get what they mean. Like, a human composited the final thing... He just but, he did the last five percent, but like you know, so the um, um, go ahead, yeah, I I remember that image, and the thing is, if any of that image was AI generated, ninety percent of it had to have been AI generated because it it had that um that uncanny quality that you get from those AI generated images. Yeah. Things were like things were like re- parts were really really sharp and the lighting was really really perfect in places. Then there's other parts then, where it's like smudgy or inconsistent shadows. Yeah, details like, that kind of like distort. it really felt like a human put the card images in. And this is and this is funny because it was the first thing I noticed when I saw it. I didn't notice that it was uh, AI work before them. Of course, the one human component has human error in it mm-hmm. because. The the image was supposed to be marketing the Shocklands being reprinted in Ravnica Remastered, but the card the cards actually in the image that some person chose to put in there, like I forget, like half of them weren't even Shocklands. Oh, interesting. Yeah, just for no reason they put the no. wrong cards in. Yeah, no, I don't know anything about that because I don't play Magic, so I can't speak. I just to love it, that if it, that was right or wrong. The but, hu- it, it was wrong. But yeah, I know that it, it is. There is some. Some irony in, like, even that maybe not being... The one human part. So, uh, they say, now we're evaluating how we work with vendors on creative product, or on creative beyond our products, like these marketing images, to make sure that we're living up to those values. So, they there is a bit of, like, throw, uh, kind of throwing someone else a little under the bus. Yeah. Like, a vi- like, we contracted with a vendor to make this image. They're so the ones they, who made the mistake. You know, made the thing, and they just assured us, they assured us that it was, like, not AI... And I they generated didn't, I it. All right. So, in a separate statement posted the same day on the Magic website, Wizard said that it wants to quote get better at understanding whether and how AI is used in the creative process. The company added that we can't promise to be perfect in such a fast evolving space, 
especially with generative AI becoming standard in tools such as Photoshop. But our aim is to always come down on the side of human-made art and artists. So, um, yeah, that's the story. What are our personal like thoughts on this? So, we can't actually avoid AI art finding its way into like big business, like marketing materials and whatnot. It would be great if everything these companies use was made by humans, but we can't control them all. We can't make them all abide by that. However, because Wizards of the Coast runs a trading card game and trading cards are known for having art drawn by people, the art is a very large part of the game. Yeah. They need to be more accountable and much more careful with that. I think this is one of the few places where it's completely unacceptable to use AI art. Okay. So a hard stance you've got yeah. there. I think that my bigger issue with it, well, I've got two. First of all, I think that if you, I, I'm largely with you. Like I think that using AI art in Magic the Gathering, a game that has historically used just human man-made art or whatever and credited its artist on the cards. That's something mm-hmm. that a lot of people cite as like kind of one of the things Yu-Gi-Oh should start doing, perhaps. Uh, I think that to to start using AI art would feel very like yucky. Yeah, it'd feel very dishonest and just kind of wrong and a slap in the face because you know you know someone has now lost a job because of that. Mm-hmm. Whoever would have gotten the commission to do the art on this cool looking card now did not get it. So I don't really like that. Um, I know you talked about that you know, last week, but I also think that there's, I guess the bigger thing for me is just that, like, it's that gaslighting element of it where they double <laughs> down. Like, I, I don't, like, there are going to be companies that will make AI imagery and have zero shame about it, but also they will be the same, they will be companies that probably don't care, like, you'll just know. They'll, they'll let you know. Like, I don't have that much of a problem with a company that's just... Like, you will see, so, okay, when there's, like, these accounts that say, like, this is just an AI art account on Twitter or whatever, and it just generates art of stuff every day, I actually don't, like, have, yeah, or images of stuff every day. (laughs) I don't have a problem with it, actually. I don't have a problem with an account that just says that it's AI art, because then you or I or whoever, if you don't like AI art, you can choose to avoid it. You can block the account. You can not engage with it. But the account itself is not lying to you. It is not right. li- it's not misrepresenting anything. It is not lying about like what it is that it made or what it's offering or whatever. I think with Wizards of the Coast, in the past couple uh, several months now, they've had so many run-ins with AI, and then they've made these statements where it's like, no, you know, we're not using AI. It's not allowed. We won't use it in Dungeons and Dragons or we won't use it in Magic. And then you get into these like little nitty gritty wording choices, like AI will not be present in the final delivered product. Right. But, so that means that it will probably be used in some stage of ideation or drafting. And as I've said in the past, I don't have a problem with AI for ideation because I do that. So I, it wouldn't be you know fair of me to say that. But it's just like I think Wizards is slowly but steadily finding themselves, and Hasbro I guess too, in the AI art conversation in a negative light. Yeah, consistently. Consistently. And then every time they do it and do this double down thing, like it worse. It, it, it's you know it's boy who cried wolf in a weird way like just you cannot continue to insist to people that like you're you've got these like strong moral ethical stances around ai use but then when there's ai use the first response is to gaslight people and deny it 
when like everyone's saying it, like, so here's the thing, right? It's not that there's, I don't know what the, when you saw everybody saying that, you should have taken a look and like investigated then and not put out the statement that just said, nope, it's just not AI. We know so, it, you guys are all wrong. Like, it's, it's like a weird, like if it was AI and, and people found out it was AI, then that middle tweet was not needed. I think uh, this was, because I have a theory of how that went. I think the typical Twitter manager for Wizards of the Coast was at the helm that day. And I think that normally they tweet without too much oversight. And so when they started getting a bit of like buzz around that marketing image, they were they, their first instinct was, oh, it's probably no big deal. I won't say anything. It built up a little bit. So they're like, okay, I'll make a statement. Uh, this he probably just asked like one person real quick. Hey, uh, somebody made this, right? And they were like, yeah, they did. Yeah. And so he made their little statement. Yeah, oh, yeah, no one made. Nope, this is an AI or a person made this. And then, then I think it built up to a point when somebody above them stepped in and they're like, all right, look, we actually yeah. have a problem. Yeah, and I think that that's so. Again, for me, I I already don't really care too much for like a lot of these like AI generated images. But I'm willing to admit that, like, AI, it has a place, it's got a use, and it would be unfair of me to say that it should all just, like, disappear because I have used it for things, mm-hmm. right? Like, I've used ChatGBT for stuff. I've, I use Google Bard pretty often now to, like, explain concepts to me or, like, kind of better, like, contextualize, like, what does a word mean or something like it's that. horrific. I don't even know who I'm talking to right now. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Alex never used uh, never used not AI I with my subscription to chat GPT yeah so and the thing is I'm so I'm not suggesting that like you know that the concept of using AI is bad I think that it's just be upfront about it like it, there's a world and I know it doesn't exist today and this might be a bit of a hot take but there's a world where we could actually all kind of enjoy the idea of AI imagery if it was like so what if like I'm gonna reframe this whole tweet, right? If what if it was reframed as just, you know, hey, we imagined like how would this look? How would these cards look in this setting? And like we plugged into AI and like kind of put it out there and like here's what it came out with. What do you guys think? I still think that the response would probably be largely negative because the internet kind of seems a little opposed to AI. Yeah, but like, I don't think but I think that at least if you own up to it and like you kind of say from the jump, like this is what it is, you know, it's still a soft contradiction to the hard stance they put out themselves. But yeah, months they ago. can't. Yeah, and they, yeah, they can't really do that because they've been making these hard <laughs> statements about like you know you can't use it here, you can't use it here. And there was the Laura Croft or Tomb Raider thing apparently got some controversy. People were saying one of the promotional images for that used AI. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know if that ever got proven if it did or not, but that was right around the time that they made kind of a, another stance around AI. And like with people magic seem to be pretty good at, uh, identi- I think, like, actual artists are really good at identifying uh, AI art. They, they seem pretty, like, 10 for 10 on, like, spotting the stuff. Yeah, so. I know that AI art's obviously going to always be... It's, it's going to be it's gonna be a contentious one. It'll be so. difficult to deal with, that's for sure. So... Where I land on it is that I just think that the gaslighting part was not very tasteful. And my them. landing is AI art has no business in trading card games. I, I honestly, I don't think it has any place in existence. But I can't, we can't undo the fact that it exists. So I think we should just keep it out of spaces where traditional art 
is the medium and is king. Yeah, it's going to be a rough one. In for a fight. Okay, well, that's all for the fun, happy Wizards of the Coast news. Yay! Any other card game things? Yeah, so I was looking at some uh, Pokemon news, and uh, this jumped out at me. They are bringing back a type of Pokemon card for their next set. Let me try and get the name of this set correct. Uh, Temporal Forces. Temporal? Temporal forces. Temporal forces. Temporal forces. Okay, what? A, a pronunciation thing. Temporal. No, you're fine. That, Go ahead. Continue. That, is that not how it's pronounced? Carry on. No, no, we're gonna stop the pod right here and have this temporal. out. Temporal. Uh, okay. See, now I feel like now, okay. You know, mm. the listeners can weigh in. You can decide. <laughs> no, that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. So check it out. So in this next set, that we we're getting these um, a spec cards. A-spec. And these aren't actually new, or at least there might be a new A-spec card, but the concept isn't actually new in the Pokemon TCG. It's these very powerful, I think, tra- trainer and item cards that you can only have one of in a deck. Oh. And they're being reprinted and reintroduced into the, uh, what's it called? The rotating format with uh, yeah. temporal, oh, that doesn't even feel right to say, forces. I mean... And I was going to look at because uh, what caught my eye was there's a Master Ball. And uh, it's it's such a Yu-Gi-Oh card. What does it do? Search your deck for a Pokemon, reveal it, put it into your hand, and shuffle your deck. Yeah. Oh, boy. This, this, this is going to be a fun, quick one. <laughs> this one, this always just, just brings me back to that whole, like, reading cards from other card games as a Yu-Gi-Oh player is insane. <laughs> Pokemon has so many weird cards where it's just like, draw seven or something. Mm-hmm. It'll be like, discard your hand and draw seven. Or just... You know, all the balls, like the Ultra Ball, Quick Ball, and those sorts of things, like Great Ball, yeah. they all kind of have effects like that, where it's just get a basic Pokemon in your hand, or just get like a whatever Pokemon. It's like, like, it's funny. Here we are paying 130 bucks for Bonfire. Yeah. You know, a generic spell equivalent that searches like one certain type in Yu-Gi-Oh! It's a huge deal for us that this card exists. It's going to like be game-defining. And then meanwhile, like in Pokemon, you, Quick Ball, the searches... Whatever from your deck, like and it'll have multi. It comes in multiple rarities where, depending on what your budget is, you can just get one. Let's not go down that road. We've I'm just saying. This to, I know. If you have no. a high budget, you can go get the gold. You can get the gold one. If you have a low budget, you can go get that common one. Yep. Like, yep, they can do that. Listen, I know, but no, you I mean you're what right. What works like, for them won't work for us. <laughs> yeah, that, <laughs> that's right. We're different countries. Games. Yeah, we're different games. Um. Yeah, I mean, listen, that's cool. Master Ball sounds like a fun card <laughs> to use. Any, 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 anything else to the story? No, just that they they have a um, they're bringing back a cool type of card to the Pokemon TCG, the A Spec cards. So the fact that you can only use one kind of sounds neat. Yeah, and I think I saw like you can use four, four or five. You can use up to four copies of a card in Pokemon, correct? Mm-hmm. But these cards are especially powerful. So running a one-off seems like you might never see it. You might not ever see it, but they're strong. Like I saw one that gives your Pokemon an extra one hundred HP. So that can take that you know, there's so many breakpoints in HP in Pokemon where you can get one hit KO'd, mm-hmm. and that can take a Pokemon clear out of one hit KO like territory and make someone like quite strong. Although, even though you're running only one of these cards, I guess when you have shit that draws seven, maybe you do see it a lot. I, hey. you know, like maybe it's not that hard to see a, a one off when you're just. Drawing like six or something. I guess the idea is, um, well, once you use it, you use it. It's, it's gone now. You yeah, you gotta make another. it count. 
So, cool. Yeah, I don't play too much Pokemon, but I I can tell from the sound of just the Master Ball effect and the plus one hundred HP. Good cards. Yeah, it's it's good stuff. I'm looking forward to seeing it. Um, will I play it? Maybe not, but I'll definitely try and collect a Master Ball. Yeah, who wouldn't want to grab? I one? want a Master Ball. I bet it's gonna have. Like I'm gonna some... collect it and I'm gonna store it and I'm gonna sell it. I bet it's gonna actually have like a, a really glittery foil version that will probably. Be I'm worth sure a, a little pretty penny. It'll look great. Any other card game things? Yeah, uh, I got a Digimon one. Okay, we don't yeah. hear about that too much. We got a Digimon ban list update. Oh, again? Yeah, but it's a, it's a weird one. It's uh, unique. Okay. So we actually already knew about this from the uh, Japanese format. We're getting our first conditional ban. Oh, like how um in in Duel Links and stuff like it's mm-hmm. like that. It's similar. If you're to using that. this, then you can't use yes. that. Or you can only use one of these two things. Or. So we have a banned pair announcement. Is the exact wording they're using. So in this a band pair, band pair. Okay. Cool. So in this next set, we're getting a new tamer called uh, Sayo and Co. It's a, they're, they're like two tamers on one card, and they have a particular effect. I'll just read it real quick. It's their uh, I think beginning of opponent's tur- start of opponent's turn effect. The um, where where is it? Do I have to blow it up to read it? That's lame. I'd rather not have to do it this way. Anyway, Sayo and Kim lets you, at the start of your opponent's turn, play one of your Digimon that has the level of one of your other Digimon. It That's a, a short way of saying it. But essentially, you get to play a Digimon at the start of your opponent's turn. Well, <laughs> there's actually a bunch of cards that will gain you a memory if a Digimon gets played by effect on your opponent's turn. So what can happen is this. Sayo and Kim, so you you pass turn and give your opponent one memory. Sayo and Kim activates because their turn is starting. You play a Digimon, and then another card activates to give you a memory, putting it back to your turn. That ends your opponent's turn. Oh, my goodness. That's brutal. And so it's uh, the promo Zubamon. It is BT13 Keenan Cryer, and it's Stardex 16 Matt Ishida. All these cards will be able to give you a memory when you play a card, some specifically oh, during your so there's a turn. handful of cards then that exist mm-hmm. that this new card has unintended interactions with, mm-hmm. and so they are conditionally banning. How's it work? How's the ban so work? So you are not if you use A. A is Sayo and Co. Then you are not allowed to use B, which is those three: Zubamon, Keenan, and Matt. Ah. So you can use these cards are all legal to be used separately, and you can use. The B cards together, if you want, that doesn't matter. Yeah. But you can't play them with A, which is Sayo and Co. Your thoughts on this? So, my thoughts. I think it's a it's a solid um it's a solid banning because um if you play against that, you will have an extremely horrible time. That is not a situation that's really easy to inter- uh, interact with, and it's stupid easy to set up. Tamers are the hardest things to play around and counter in the game. There are ways to do it, but not every deck, not every color even has a way of doing it. And your opponent can just set you up in a situation where you may never get a turn again. Yeah, I felt, that's what I was saying is it kind of sounds like an infinite loop. It's, you know, it's pretty brutal. I think, uh, especially for a game like Digimon, like, that has... I'm sure it's had its like kind of broken formats or whatever, but probably prided itself on not having that 
level of, you know, like a turn skip type of thing. Just straight up, like automatic, your opponent's turn starts and then it ends sort of effects. Right. I forgot. I can just read their write-up on it. <laughs> that would have been a little bit easier. So it says, It has been discovered that by combining the start of opponent's turn effect of EX6 Silent Co., and the on-play effect of P97 Zubamon, it is repeatedly possible to gain memory and immediately end the opponent's turn. This can be set up quickly, and once set up, it is difficult to interfere with, and the game will end with the opponent unable to participate at all. The intended experience is based on turns going back and forth and both players getting to play cards. So we've decided that this is not healthy for the game and due to how fast and consistently this combination can be used. In addition, we've identified that the same combination also works with uh, BT13 Keenan Cryer and Starter Deck 16 Matt Ishida. For the above reasons, we have decided to ban these cards, Zubamon, Keenan Cryer, and Matt Ishida from being included in decks that include Sayo and Ko. This is pretty cool. I know um, some other card games, I think, have done this in the past, but this is my first time hearing about it from Digimon, and it certainly makes me think of, again, like a Yu-Gi-Oh! sort of angle, where a lot of people want conditional ban lists to be a thing in Yu-Gi-Oh! as well, mm-hmm. where, like, okay, you can't use X, if, but only if you're using Y or whatever, right? Or if you're using X, mm-hmm. you can't use, like, any, like, YZ or whatever. Uh, and I think it's pretty cool. I think that it makes sense in this situation for Digimon, I've always felt like for Yu-Gi-Oh! it'd be a little harder to enforce that. Not to enforce one of those rules. We need but to like enforce with Yu-Gi-Oh! Many. there would probably just be a, a handful of them. And uh, I'm trying to think of like an easy example. Like just if you're running like a, some common engine, then maybe you can't run a certain boss of it. You know, I mean, Kana- Konami specifically keeps us away from like infinite looping things as much as humanly possible. Mm-hmm. There, I think... We know we don't give them enough credit. Konami's uh, level of testing these cars before they release is pr- probably unmatched in car gaming. Yeah, you don't know. To, like people kind of joke about like, oh my god, how did Konami print this broken ass card? What a lot of people don't know is that if a card's like just generally strong, that was intentional. Yeah, like like cards they, are they know to be exactly strong. how strong the cards are. The thing is though, is from my slightly increased exposure to other card games the last couple of years. I have found that um, not every card game seems like it does as like stringent testing, or mm. at least they seem to kind of be more like how we were talking about you know the Digimon ban list a few weeks ago, where it can kind of feel like these companies and One Piece has had this too, where they're a bit at like the whims of their community to an almost unhealthy degree, where it's like oh people complain about a ban list, oh, sorry guys we'll change it, you know so yeah like Yu Gi Oh doesn't like we haven't really gotten too many like. Of those sorts of interactions in Yu-Gi-Oh! in the last like, few years. It ha- like, from time to time it happens, and this time it happened with uh, Bandai. There are people who are mad at Bandai saying, you don't test your cars enough, how could you let this happen? Honestly, a situation like this is not like uh, Sayo and these cards were coming out alongside Sayo and Co. All these yeah, cards these are, are significantly older, well, except for Matt, that was in, Beats, that was in Stardex 16. But they're older and so that's much easier to kind of just happen. And the longer this game goes, and that's just true for any card game, the the more that backlog of cards builds up, the more likely something's going to release that has like a it breaks a up. broken interaction. Yeah. And, and that's supposed to be that's kind of the common argument for like a rotation style format mm-hmm. is that you know when you have rotation formats, this stuff just can't really happen, or at least it's far 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 less likely to. Where you know just oh some old card from like two, three, four years ago 
Mm-hmm. You know, the new car and blah, blah, blah. So, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, cool to hear. Yeah. Honestly, cool to hear. Actually, I, I would call this a uh, Bandai W. I know most people are upset about it, but it's a W. What are people upset about? They're, that it happened at all. They're just mad that... Um, like there are some people who probably identified the um, the loop possibility, and they're like, "Ooh, I'm gonna get everybody with this." And then there are people who are like, "Come on, Bandai, how could you print a card like this and not realize it would work with the with BT13 Keenan Cryer? You're so stupid. How did you not see this?" I mean, if I had to pick one group to have more sympathy with, it probably be the second one, <laughs> because like I, I've never like, oh no, they won't let me do my broken loop. Loops that, that skips my opponent's turn. Like what? What are you mad about? Oh no, I can't. Like, come on. Like, do you? So I'm just gonna get a little mean. It's like, do, do you fucking want to play the game or do you not? Like, because the reason I say that is like, if you're playing, like, if you are literally playing decks where the goal is to just not let the opponent play, and I'm not talking about like the hyperbolic, you know, Yu-Gi-Oh make them say it's wild. A Yu-Gi-Oh player saying this. I'm talking about like literally. I want to do a mechanic. That will not allow your turn to happen. Not, there won't even, like, draw phase, like, won't even go. Or, you know, like, that's what we're talking, that level of, like, turn skip, and then I win. Then, what am I here for? I mean, I can I can play. Paul hasn't played a lot of I mean? Commander format. So, and yeah, and I've heard, like, Commander's got, like, that sort of stuff. There's, like, the infinite mana thing. Infinite and, turns, infinite mana, and infinite attacks. I'm just, like, when I see people get, like, giddy over finding that stuff out and, like, abusing it at their local card shop against, like, people. I don't... I don't see the appeal. Now, tournaments, sure, go crazy, be terrible, be mean. I think that's the place even, it doesn't but, belong, but, but still, tournament. But even still, you're right, like, even still, that, like, it's... Like, it doesn't change the fact that that should get hit. Like, it's... Both for casual play, it's bad, and for tournament play, it should happen up until... Like, the moment the company recognizes it and that stuff should be getting banned. Like, I guess what I'm trying to say is Bandai is not doing anything wrong, in my opinion, in banning this. I, I don't, like, I see no... If someone has, a you know, an argument about that, please. But, like, I just, I don't get, like, why you'd be upset. Like, how dare they take away my fun little toy that lets me remove my opponent fair, from the game. It's, that's not a common sentiment, but the, it is just, it is a sentiment that I've seen in the comments that some people are mad they don't get to use these cards, this interaction. But um, I don't okay. think that's even like, the, I don't think that's even close to the majority of people. Okay, I hope not. Because I, 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 I think vast, most people just would not want to play against this. That doesn't, that's not fun. Like, that's horrible. You wouldn't play against it. Like, you just, Your turn gets skipped, just, doesn't it's it? It's not I mean, like it's, it's, this isn't like the last ban list where the uh, with like Apocalymon and stuff, where where you you know the cards are so strong you lose to them. These these cards aren't strong; they're just badly designed, or they're they have a bad interaction in their design. Yeah. Now, as for as for the whole like you know, should Bandai have noticed this in testing? I do not know how large their R and D team like is. So I kind of agree that. They probably could have noticed this. Like, I don't, I don't know how I don't know how long they like, play test stuff and to what extent. It's really tough in games like Digimon to do that type of play testing because this isn't like Yu-Gi-Oh where it's feasible that any card, many cards can be used in main situations, and so and in Yu-Gi-Oh, so many things are archetype locked 
where you don't even have to really worry about certain cards interacting with one another because they're locked into their archetypes. In Digimon, there is this assumption of like color restriction. Sayo and Ko is a blue card. It's meant to be played in a blue and red deck, but other than Zubamon, which is a red card, the other two are purple, and I don't know if they truly thought to like double check. Yeah. Not maybe maybe it should have been noticed. Maybe it should have I mean, been obvious. I, I kind of I'm not going to say like, "Oh my god, terribly incompetent company, you suck," right? But I will say that I'm like shocked that since like I thought it was going to be like, okay, there's like one card that kind of slipped through the cracks like an older card they didn't notice but if there's three then that does make it seem like man you think they would have noticed one of the three it's just awkward. maybe not it's just awkward because like the zubamon keenan and the matt they're not the most popular cards in the world um but i guess it could it could happen they, they probably should have caught it but they they did catch it after printing i mean yeah, they so. did it's better if they caught it now than so is the later. card out yet it comes out in EX5, so that's coming out in two weeks? Eight, okay, so weeks, I guess that like they've that? already sent it to the like, material. Yeah, it's printed. printed. That thing is printed. Okay. It's, it's hot. Although I guess they wouldn't have even been able to change the card because like, the function's already kind of built in, so yeah, I but get you. I think it, this, the, issue, the real issue here is Bandai's over-reliance on power creep to move their game forward because they're getting more and more intrusive with the way they design these cards. This card's effect starts at the beginning of your opponent's turn. Yeah. Like, we're getting more and more effects that trigger during your opponent's turn. We have, we have cards that activate during, at the end of the opponent's turn. We have cards that activate during the end of our turn, the start of our turn, and the start of our opponent's turn. It's like, all right, well, this is what's going to happen, Bandai. You keep making a, like even cr- more and more intrusive effects. Yeah, it's only a matter like, of time. You're going to run afoul of your own cards. One more little Yu-Gi-Oh comparison is I do think of the more like our turn decks. Mm-hmm. Some people like them. They feel that they actually help with the interactivity problem. Other people do not like them and uh, find that it's like, you know, it's it's annoying. Like, it, I don't want my opponent like playing on my turn. So in this case, it wouldn't even be our turn. It's like yeah, all the turns are mine. Turn. Yeah, my turn. <laughs> okay. But that's all I got to say about that one. I thought it was, I thought it was a fun story. Cool. Other card game things? Let's have a look. See, do I have anything? And no more card games. Yeah, I'm out of card games. Out of card games. All right. Well, I've got um one more story from my end. This is another AI story. So today I'm the one bringing them. I uh, it's never about Alan Iverson. I something. AI generated my contributions to the podcast. Today. That's not funny. That's not funny. <laughs> We're not laughing. Um, this is the SAG AFTRA strikes deal. So SAG AFTRA strikes deal because there were strikes. But um, the SAG-AFTRA, it strikes a deal for AI voice acting, licensing, and video games. This mm-hmm. is announced at CES 2024. That's the Consumer Electronics... What's the S? Mm-hmm. Show? Show. Consumer Electronics Show. Um, it's in Las Vegas this week. And that's where they show off a bunch of like cool kind of upcoming tech products. Some of them just conceptual. Others actually like happening. I've seen some really neat stuff. I saw like... Uh, you know, more just cool features in cars, some robot that could clean up milk off the floor. But what does this have to do with Whatever. SAG-AFTRA? I'm just giving context to uh, what just, CES is. I just don't know why these two are related. They're not. Okay. But anyways, and I, actually, I don't know why SAG-AFTRA is even talking about this here in particular. That's what I was That's wondering. Just, okay, yeah, I get that. I get why you did. Anyways, SAG-AFTRA. 
the union representing thousands of performers, has struck a deal with an AI voice acting platform aimed at making it easier for actors to license their voice for use in video games. Under the deal, which was announced during a press event at CES 2024, SAG-AFTRA members will be able to work with Replica Studios, chilling name, to license their voice to game studios. You, you know about Replica Studios? Yeah, that, I'm, I'm familiar with that name. That's R-E-P, like K, right? Replica? I think he's got a C Oh, never mind. That's a different replica, I guess. Um, so this, according to the union's top negotiator, so the agreement, the agreement paves the way for professional voiceover artists to safely explore new employment opportunities for their digital voice replicas. The agreement comes as Hollywood is still grappling with the use of AI. Last year, SAG-AFTRA reached a deal with Hollywood studios that included AI protections following a months-long strike. Right. As a result, studios are now required to pay actors and obtain their consent before using an AI-generated version of their likeness. Their latest agreement with Replica Studios seems to follow a similar framework. So, that's the story. Got it. My understanding of this is that basically this is allowing a voice actor to have a an official means, a sort of protected means... Of selling the ability, like their digital voice, right? The ability for a company to use their digital voice in a game. So now, come like a game developer or whatever can't just use it, and like it's kind of the wild, wild west of what the policies and stuff mm-hmm. are and how the compensations would work. But now, um, you know, they will work with this particular studio, and there will be protections and provisions in place to make it a kind of symbiotic process with everyone's best interest at heart right thoughts i don't trust it you don't trust it what not do you one bit okay because what essentially they're saying is um because they're saying sell us your voice right in a sense you sell us your voice and we'll you know we'll have this like contract where we limit our use and our storage and, and whatnot of it it's safe and you will be compensated for your voice but you're selling your voice voice actors they typically sell a performance yeah. like other actors i sell you a performance but what they what they want is to be able to use that voice for like extra means beyond just a performance maybe it's to f- make fill in extra scenes after they, they wrap filming or something or maybe it's for marketing purposes but you're selling someone the right to use your voice and you just have to trust that you know they're not going to use it outside the purview of your agreement um Mm -hmm. they they're going to have your voice or data on file used for like training other model you know yeah so you're not alone in those sentiments as it happens some well-known voice actors were immediately skeptical of the news, as the BBC reports. In a press release, um, SAG after said the agreement had been approved by, quote, affected members of the union's voiceover performer community, but on X. Voice actors said they had not been given advance notice. Um, here's a quote from Veronica Taylor. How has this agreement passed without notice or vote, wrote Veronica Taylor, who voiced Ash in Pokemon. Encouraging slash allowing AI replacement is a slippery slope downward. Mm-hmm. Roger Clark, who voiced Arthur Morgan in Red Dead Redemption 2, also suggested he was not notified about the deal. He says, if I can pay for permission to have an AI rendering of an A-list voice actor's performance for a fraction of their rate, I have next to no incentive 
to employ 90% of the lesser-known working actors and make up the majority of the industry. Facts. Also, SAG-AFTRA's deal with Replica only covers a sliver of the game industry. Separately, the union is also negotiating with several of the major game studios after authorizing a strike last fall. So, um, it's going to be a little tricky. One other thing, too, that's worth noting is that the agreement does not cover whether actors' replicas can be used to train large language models, LLMs, Though Replica Studios CEO Shreyas Nevis said the company was interested in pursuing such an arrangement. So, um, that's an interesting one. I mean, like, I think it sounds like this is, actors were not informed that this was really happening. At least not all of them. Not, not, not some of them were not, maybe some were, um, and they're a little skeptical. And I think that they have right to be because, you know, it's rough. Like, this is, it's such a murky world with AI, and, you know, earlier we were talking about AI imagery, and there's already plenty of, like, ethical arguments about whether or not that is, you know, you train these images on existing art, Mm -hmm. existing, you know, man-made creations. This is a little different because it's not just generating an image, it's generating, like, I definitely think audio is something that, it's a form of art and, like, it's its own thing. But like, man, you get, see. But this isn't it's, just it's, art anymore. Yeah, it's a it's a kind it's of movie on that. Like, it's there's an element of of likeness, and there's also kind of this like after the fact thing where like you know you do your performance because like from what it sounds like, this is my understanding of it. I am a, a talented voice actor. We're gonna say, and you I are a video. Can, thank you. You're a video game company, and you know you want to use my voice. And let's say I'm okay with it, actually, as it happens. I'm okay with using my digital voice. I've actually, that's cool. This allows me a way, like, I've sort of, a more protected way to provide consent for that and all that. That sounds Mm -hmm. like that's kind of the sales pitch here. But what I guess I don't know is, will you then use, use it to train AI for the future? Will you slip it into a few other games and, like, kind of just, it goes uncredited? Like, I still don't know. Ends up as an NPC voice. Well, because that I feel like that could happen. Like I could see a really realistic scenario where you know, like a lot of in movies and games, you'll see these things where it's like you know, like there are like uncredited roles mm. and stuff. And so, you know, where does that land? Like, would someone know the difference? So, another thing too is there's the st- the typical like issue about like if if an A list like this like um Roger Clark says. If I can pay for permission to have an AI rendering of an A-list voice actor, why would I ever look at the new budding voice actors? Y'all, if Steve Blum signs off on this, it's a wrap. It's a wrap for the industry. Because, like, you know, there are voice actors who've been in the they've been in the game for a long time. They're very good, very talented, and have very desirable voices. And typically, the reason they can't do every roll under the sun is because they're human beings with yeah. limited time and interests and whatever and availability. But if now any company or any like game company, game studio or whatever, like can, you know, buy purchase their voice for like a fraction of the cost that they would actually take to, you know, commission mm-hmm. them or whatever. Then why would you ever go for like an upcoming voice actor like, or why right? would you trust the risk there? Like if Tara strong signs off on that, it's over. Yeah, and they're, yeah, exactly. So it's kind of, it's a, I don't know that that's like a great thing. Now, I think that the, 
the agreement itself sounds like it's a good thing because it's at least adding a protection that was not formally there. So that it's adding some degree of structure and like protection to it. But I guess it's just, it's it's still murky and it's not covering enough. Yeah, I don't I don't like it. Um, with AI in art, there are too many repercussions to haphazardly do much of anything. You yeah. will you you will step on people. You will like damage the industry in some way. And in this case, I feel like this would benefit the top end of the industry and and do irreparable harm to the lower end because if what if what you theorize can come to uh comes to term then i think that will more that will push smaller voice actors to seek to sell their voices to these types of companies like almost desperately yeah which would probably drive down the value of their voice because if you're desperate for the sale you're willing to accept a lot less because it, so. it just like AI can make these indus- these art based industries so much harder to work in, and yeah. in some pla- and, and sometimes it's like oh well it'll make it'll make uh it'll make everyone get better at their craft. But the, if I, you sell your voice, <laughs> I know <laughs> <laughs> that that's the I mean that is the common argument I hear about, like in defense of AI is that well it'll make artists have to get better or have to you know reevaluate their worth like maybe instead of charging 80 for this art commission you should be charging 40 because i can go and generate it for 10 or you know same with the voice acting thing it's like well i guess if your voice if ai can do your job then i guess you weren't very valuable anyway but i don't like that much because i think that people these ai would be nothing without people Mm-hmm. Like that, that, that's just, that's a fact. Like you can, I get that there are uses for AI that maybe could be justified this and that. That's a conversation I'm totally willing to have. But one thing I don't think I can really, you know, kind of cave on is that there would not be AI voices if the concept of a voice from yeah. a human did not exist. There would not be AI art because there'd be no human art for it to like learn from. And yet here we and are creating an artificial thing to replace the thing that made it. Yeah, and so it's like, I don't know. I, I guess it's going to be... The worst part about it is... There's this unfortunate reality that the cat's out of the bag. Yeah. There's not really, we can't put it back in. I think that it is, unfortunately, not really something that can be undone. No. And I think that to to try to kind of fool yourself into thinking that it can be outright undone is, that's, you're, you're tricking yourself, right? It's over with. There's a million and one like AI generator sites now that are like free. Mm-hmm. And they're just, they're all over the world. There's apps, there's sites, there's all kinds of things. So even if you don't want to get into the like the hardcore, like I'm going to install stable diffusion and mid journey, you know, you can just find like sites that just do it. Generate mm-hmm. you an anime character, generate you an icon, whatever that sort of thing. I think that given that that's the case, the best we can do is at least try to put in protections for the people who are just directly going to be like out of a job because of this. See, I don't want so. protections. Texans is too is for me too little too late. 
I want hard stop regulations mm-hmm. okay. where we don't need to protect our artists because it won't be allowed in in I don't think AI should even be allowed in the voice acting industry. Like hard stop because of all the consequences that come with it. Okay. And yeah. look, I'm no professional. I'm no government leader or any much of anything. So my opinion is not worth anything. But I am. I'm an art elitist, uh, and I truly do believe that I am. I don't think we should be trying to devalue art. I don't think voice actors should have to charge less for their work. I don't think traditional artists or even digital artists should have to charge less from their work. I because I don't think a this AI art boom has any value at all unless you're a giant corporation. To like real art is still real art. That AI stuff needs to be somewhere else. Oh uh, yeah, I I think that there would. I know that there was there was one thing. Um, I'm trying not to like drag it on too much longer, but there was one. I know there was like one sort of initiative that they wanted where like you could kind of build in metadata into images that like, like, so let's say like I generate an image on stable diffusion or whatever. Mm -hmm. And there will be a piece of metadata like embedded into the file that will always follow it that like just says like this is AI art. And it's like a piece of metadata that, you know, can't be stripped from the file. It just, you will know that it is AI art. That was like one idea people had. Mm -hmm. Obviously that's not going to work. Because someone's just gonna freaking screenshot it and, now, and then just share that, and the screenshot won't have any of the, what know, the exit data. There won't be any of that. So you know, but like I, I'm always in favor of at least trying to do those things. I do not really care much for AI imagery, and I certainly don't care much. I think that AI like voice acting is creepy. Like that actually like gives me chills. But I, I just I think that people should know what they're engaging with. I think that is what it, that's what it comes down to for me. I'm not saying like. Shut down and sue Stable Diffusion or ChatGPT. They're here. It ain't happening. Like, let's not delude ourselves. I am saying, though, that people should always be able to know if what they're hearing in the video game or what they are, you know, viewing as an image is AI generated. And then that way they can make an informed decision about whether or not they want to support that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Because if if you're not told that what you're hearing is AI, I think that's, like, ethically very deceptive. But... I know that that's a line that's just going to get the powers that be. You know, that 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 is a line that is going to get drawn at a different place for everyone. But that's where you're right that some I think regulation can is all that we can really hope to get because it doesn't matter that you or I do or don't like it. Yeah, it is. That that means nothing. Like they'll use it will be used anyway. So all we can do is put our money where our mouth is. If you love AI art so much, I guess you you you'll. You will spend your pennies on your AI art. And for those of us who like art made by humans, we'll spend dollars on that. And yeah. that's the best we can do. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a bit of a, you know, it's a tough line in the sand and not even a really entirely clear one. Like for myself, like I said, I have still, like I've used Google Bard. So again, I don't I'm, know that. I separate the AI conversation from the AI art conversation. Yeah. So yeah, that, that's interesting. So for you, it's, the AI art thing kind of feels like it's a different, and, and I, and, but I, but I'm talking about art in a broader sense. That's yeah. music, that's images, that's physical art. Like yeah, voice. That's all I art to you. me. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, that was fun. 
Anyways, SAG After seems like they've got the artist's best interests at heart, or at least that's the story. However, I think it's time to look into the pot of greed and draw a card. Ask the pot. I hope there's no AI in here. Yeah. Should AI make the next Yu-Gi-Oh card? <laughs> that, that's the question. <laughs> Who says they're not? Yeah. Maybe Konami's AI generating. I mean, they always claim they do that with the Master Duel ban list. They AI generate <laughs> that shit. Um, but, no. Uh, hopefully they never make an AI generated Yu-Gi-Oh card. Or hopefully we never find out that they did. Right. <laughs> All right. So, would a commons-only format work for Yu-Gi-Oh? Sure, right? I mean, it would be a lower power, power format than what we're used to, but... They've done this in the past. Oh, have they? Like, officially? Yeah, they... I don't know if you remember the, um... So, you know, there's, like, the Pegasus Challenge at, like, events where, like, Pegasus kind of oh. says, says stuff. Well, no, that's... There's the Pegasus Challenge, and there's also, like, the, like, Pegasus Format or something. I think that's what it was called. It might have had a different name. Oh, I'm not But basically, it was a, there was a format... I think it had a different name. There was a format where you had to use cards of all the same rarity. Oh, I so, do remember yeah, that. Yeah, so your deck could be, like, all commons or all rares or all supers. And so it's like if you want to use your Seeker Sinful Spoils, your whole deck has to be Seeker Rare. Yikes. Or if you want to use your Bonfire, your whole deck has to be Ultra Rare. So you That's can't actually doable. start, you know, Snake Eye, many of them, because they're not Ultra. So it's kind of an interesting thing. I think that a format like that sounds pretty fun. I know that when that typically happens, some decks are more advantaged than others because right. they've just had more reprints or, like, low-rarity prints. But I think that that is part of the charm. I guess that would be the equivalent to a Magic's Pauper format. Yes. Yeah, I think, like, um, it's a pretty good thing. Like, I, I would be willing to give it a crack. Yeah, just because it wouldn't cost me much. Yeah, it would be inexpensive. So, if nothing else, like, you can just do that. I think that it might cause a little bit of uh, a demand for, like, it's funny. Print more stuff common, Konami, <laughs> so I can play, like, my meta deck in this format. Yeah, so you, so what I'm hearing is you guys want to play Rescue Ace Diabell Star in, in, in the uh, common format, huh? All right, there right, we go. Right, yeah, like, you know, I want to play the best deck, and they should just print all the stuff common. Now, granted, it's not that much different than what people want right now, which is for Konami to print good cards and lower rarities anyway. But I do think it's a it's a pretty creatively fun idea. So yeah, I don't mind it. I think it's pretty cool. Also, shout outs to Yu Gi Oh Commons making it way easier to access the card art. On the, Facts on the thing. So all right, what you got, Paul? My question is, what makes a what makes a good Yu Gi Oh card? I don't have the bandwidth for this today. All right. Um. So I don't. What? It's not a bad question. It's just like it's. So, Paul, all right, we're going to make a list, Paul. All right, what are the f qualities that would make one card good and another card bad? I, the first thing that jumps out to me is the lack of a heart once per turn. I mean, I think that, well, yeah, that's true. I was going to say more from, like, just the design, a conceptual thing, like, car, like, <laughs> that's part of it, too. Yeah, I mean, I think cards that are situational tend to not be very good. Situational mm -hmm. as in, like, you know, just if, if it's, like, when your opponent attacks you with a monster that has it's over 2,500 attack points, all these, like, conditions, yeah, you don't want that. Obviously, card economy factors in. You want it to either be a zero at worst or a plus at, you know, like a plus one or plus two. So cards that don't cost, like, more than, like, one resource. Yeah, the, the resource being literally just activating it. Right. Like, wanted is strictly a beneficial card, right? Like... Um, flexibility helps 
Wanted can get a card from the deck or the grave, like right, a dear right, servant right. or something. Um, so it's very, very nearly never going to be dead. The lack of like archetype or uh, type locking. Yeah, any type locking being absent, that tend, you know, the good stuff tends to have have or not have that. Um, I think. I mean, so okay. So if we make a card that is a plus one in card advantage, that does not have a heart once per turn, and that doesn't lock you into oh, that doesn't lock you into anything when you play it, and it does. There's no conditions attached to when you can activate it. If all four of those things are true, does it? Do you think that the that card is almost card. guaranteed to be good? Probably. Yeah, I think so. I, too. I, I think so too. I mean, there's I think so too. it's. What's tricky with Yu-Gi-Oh! too is like with the card pool that we've got at this point, what makes a card good or bad almost feels like it's not even relevant, as relevant as just, like, does the card have a use or not? Like, because there are cards that are pretty middling, like, in terms of just their actual effect, but if they just happen to fit the right criteria for something else to abuse them, then they can suddenly be a lot more of a threat or a but lot more But then that is conditional. So, like, because the thing is, like, Ash Blossom is conditional, Right. And it has a hard once per turn and stuff like that. And it's not a plus one or typically isn't. But like it's still just really good. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's tough stuff. I don't know. I mean, is Ash a better card than Imperm? What do you think? I think not. Okay. Just because uh, Imperm is more flexible in its usage. The um, that you can just kind of slap down an imperm on a monster, and it being um, chain link two means you can respond to things with it, and so I think in a weird way our like criteria is a good way to it is an okay way to, to identify if a card might be better than another, just because of because I do I think imperms a more a better card than Ash I think it's more flexible, and uh, it can stop. It can stop more, or maybe not more things. Ash is pretty, yeah, I was gonna say, Ash is pretty I, broad. The thing is, I think Ash is actually more broad than Imperm, um, like in terms of card types and stuff. I mean, it can mm-hmm. hit spells, it can hit traps, it can hit monsters. It can hit more things. So, like, I don't know. I think that they're they're comparable, but that's it's just the best you can really say that there are both good cards. Right. Yeah. I, like, I don't even know that one's better. I think, I mean, Ash probably sees a hair more play. But um, it's got it's gotten pretty close these days. Like, I mean, I they're see both. Imperm seems to be in every profile I look at. So, um, the question's a bit nebulous, but that's the best answer we've got. So, for now, at least, that's a great question for the audience, though. What makes a good card? I think it's hard to say in Yu-Gi-Oh now. So, so many sets have bulk filler cards. What do you think of this, and what do you do with it all? So, all what right. do we think of bulk, and how do we deal with our bulk? Uh, well, I mean, I don't think anyone likes like bulk filler cards, and sets have a lot of them. Every single set does. My advice to people, as far as bulk goes, is just sell that shit. Uh, burn it for fire. Yeah, like, take, don't, like don't don't store it. Don't make the mistake that we have. Of Our like, camera's sitting on bulk right now. Yeah, we're using it to like balance one of these cameras. But uh, I, I think like there's too much of it. 
I hate it. But it, here's the thing. It's literally a growing problem. It's a growing problem. And here's the thing. You play. You chose to play card games, what you get. I've actually started to respect the idea, because I've seen more players taking on this mentality of, like, the lean card gamer, mm-hmm. where you do not have a trade binder, and you don't have a collection. If you ever need something, you just, you simply buy it for the deck, and, like, you don't accumulate. You have, like, a deck box, and then maybe, like, a small little crate of, like, staples or something. And that's, like, where it stops, and people will take every effort to, like, keep that from growing. That's they don't buy packs. They don't do, like, anything. And they don't mind the extra expense of buying pack or buying cards when you need them because it's worth not having that over there off camera. But what do you do with the, uh, like, when cards get, like, hit on ban lists and stuff? Sell them. Oh, okay. Just sell, I mean, you know, sell them or something like that. I don't know. I, I think that it would be a like if I could like kind of live an alternative Yu-Gi-Oh life. That's what I would do. I would just like play like my one deck at a time and just never own any extra excess cards. I don't know if I can do that. This I got six decks in here right now. Yeah, yeah I'm just be able to fit six in that thing. But I did it. So. Uh, okay, here is my last question. When did Yu-Gi-Oh? Get more heavy with the waifu designs uh, and the card art. Mm-hmm. Their word, not mine. And um, what do you guys think about it? So what? Okay, the first part so is like, when. When did the art style kind of feel mm. like it shifted to feature more? I'm okay. Before I answer it, more of this, I'm actually trying to make a concerted effort. This is a self improvement sort of Yu Gi Oh project to not use the word waifu cards anymore. I'm going to, you know, people are like, oh, there's like a waifu deck or whatever. You're paying the waifu tax. I think that that's a little bit like dismissive of what was probably a more intentional shift in card design. So I'm going to just say like card art that features like anime style characters or like anime style like girl characters, let's say. Okay. I just think that like, because I know like waifu has like a lot of more degenerate connotations Trap tricks. and stuff like that. I hope no one's calling them waifu, frankly. Okay. That's even They're more anime style girl characters. I just thought that's what we're so, going with it. Um, yeah, when did it happen? So if if I had to place a um, a time period for it, I want to say it was right before Pendulums came out. Is it? I think when we started getting more like female like representing cards because mm-hmm. I. Cause I remember, I want to say around the time when Cosmo came out, I start. I think we started to see more, like, yeah, yeah. That 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 would be a early in the kind of the pendulum era. Mm-hmm. I uh, that sounds about right. I mean, I think that's where you would kind of start to see. I think early in the deck builder era sets, like the deck build packs, um, kind of your. Infinity Chasers, Shadow Slayer, or whatever, you know, like Secret those Slayers. Have a, those seem to do it on purpose. Those were kind of the first time that we would see each, you know, each of those would have like three new. Uh, main, main camera down. It almost made it, too. Um, that's where, like, you know, you'd kind of have your um, mainline sets, and you have your deck builder sets, and they have three different decks in them. And pretty much universally, they would always have a, like, sort of female-focused archetype. Yeah. Where either it'd be, like, you know, primarily female monsters or, like, a female boss monster. And it just felt like clockwork. Um, And what do I think of it? 
So this is actually a weird one for me. I play a lot of those decks. I you do. You do. Yeah, I play a lot. I play Witchcrafters. I play Exosisters. I play Labyrinth. Trap I play, Tricks. I don't play Trap Tricks. I I play... Uh, there's a few. There's like one really obvious one that I'm forgetting. Did you mention? Rika. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so like, I'm always drawn to them, but... And this is going to be weird, and I think it's like a difficult thing for a lot of people to understand about like what makes these monsters or whatever appealing to me it's not the like quote-unquote like kind of like waifu like kind of charm or whatever it's i actually really just think that the designs are cool or like interesting to me Uh like i like that the exosister monsters like obviously they're exorcists right but also they seem to be traveling they don't look like exorcists to me but hey whatever float your boat well no but like they, they seem to be, like, traveling. And I always thought that, that was, like, a cool concept. Like, they're being, like, kind of sent out to different places to kind of, like, I guess, like, find and exercise, like, these spirits or something. Right. And I always thought that that was kind of neat. And, like, the Rika sort of, like, plant princess thing is... I don't see any of them in, like, a... I would, like, I would date her. Like, she would... You know, whatever. I just... I think that, like... They look cool. Like, they're, just, they're girls, like, skating on... In a snowy setting, and like they've got you know, their umbrellas and their things. I like the names of the cards. I love like when a normal Yu Gi Oh name, like Erica, the Rika princess, it kind of feels out of place in a game where there's like, you know, Gore is the emissary of darkness or, you know, Darkest Diablos or uh, whatever. And real like, Yu Gi Oh cards. Yeah, the real manly cards. But then you can also just sort of like, yeah, I, uh, I summon um. Exo sister Sophia, you know, and user Martha, and I use her. Something about that's very fun for me. But yeah, I've never been drawn to them. Like, or that element of a deck has ever pulled me to or from a deck. I, it's you know. So the, uh, I feel like for me, I guess what I've I've played Cosmo and I've played Amazons. I think those are the only like kind of female like presenting like centric decks that i've played yeah i feel like it and i would play cosmo regardless if they were if there was lots of guys or more robots or more aliens it was star wars related so that was just gonna happen one way or another that would that was locked in um amazons uh, i know I, I liked them i thought they were cool um that but that was so long ago it feels like it shouldn't even be in the conversation yeah, I mean, I I don't know that there's like a I I think there's maybe a general conversation to be had about like Yu-Gi-Oh kind of feels more anime-ish these days. Like a lot of the archetypes in general just feel like they're anime protagonists kind of things. And you can take issue with that because like Yu-Gi-Oh was not always like that. There was But much it was more. always based on an anime. It was based not even actually that. Well, okay, you're right. Not <laughs> always based on anime. Yeah. But at some there was point, always it became... an anime component where, like, you know, they were playing the games. But, like, the early monsters were, like, yucky, kind of cave dwelling, just, you know, evil things. I think that there is a. I, I feel a lot of people miss that age of Yu Gi Oh! I do miss my ugly, like, just kind of just scary gross, scary monsters. monsters. I think we probably could, like, I wouldn't mind seeing a little bit more of that still. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not a strike against like the so-called waifu deck, and that's more just a the, the art style as a whole has gone more anime. So, but I mean, 
there is the, but there is a with the deck builder set there is clearly a coordination to this you don't make dragon maids off the cuff you know like yeah i think that is right so i think that is intentional like they know that that is material and like imagery that appeals to a lot of your kind of typical card shop going nerd yeah, if you yeah, a lot of like card gamers are also anime fans, and anime fans love their waifus. So why not try to actually create that same thing within the card game itself? But not. But the thing is, not every like female like presenting card is designed to be a waifu. Yeah, I, I feel think like that's, that's a bit that's dismissive. Become the, that's become the, the equivalency are. is if if there is a girl. Then waifu deck, waifu right. card, waifu tax. Not that's not necessarily true, because um, like was DD Warrior Lady like a, wa- a waifu yeah, was card? It a waifu card right? Nah, now? it was a card that would wreck you. That's what it was. So yeah, I'm trying to kind of s- separate my. I'm trying to kind of avoid using that word going forward, mm-hmm. just because I think it's like the connotations maybe aren't the best. Long story short, you will never hear me say like Ray is Bay. Like I'm not like you know right when that was like a thing like Sky Striker Ray was Bay and then like that comic or whatever the manga ne- came never out. Never played Sky Strikers. Out. Yeah, neither did I. People found out she was like 13, and that suddenly all changed. I don't think it changed for some people. I know. So um, y'all got to work on yourselves. <laughs> so yeah, I I'm not like one of those duelists. I just I play the decks because I think that the concept's cool. So. Cool. But that was actually all of our questions That's for today's questions episode for today. of The Pot of Greed. Hopefully you enjoyed it. Some um, you know, pricing controversy and a little bit of deep dark AI existential. You're always going to get a little bit of AI here. Yeah. We're d- we're the Yu-Gi-Oh Magic the Gathering AI, AI and podcast. MCU podcast. Yeah, right. <laughs> we haven't talked to MCU in a while. I had one, but I'll bring it up next week. Okay, I'll yeah. Bring it up next week. Echo I think is out. Mhm. So maybe we'll watch it. Yep. It's the first, like, and then we'll give two. our review as we cry. Yeah. No, I think the whole series is out. Are you going to watch the whole thing? I think they dropped the whole thing, yeah. In that, in that oh, very Netflix style. Oh, interesting. Maybe. I'm not sure. That's, okay. that's what I read. I, I, I will, I'm looking forward to seeing but, that. But, uh, yeah, get, uh, get ready to hear our thoughts. We're going to have two hours just for that. Yeah, so hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, if you're tired of hearing us banter on about AI, maybe next week will be MCU again or something. Who knows? <laughs> All right. Thank you again. Make sure that you drop a like, leave your comments on anything that we talked about today. Shout out to the people that are listening right this very moment in the YouTube premiere. And if you want your questions inside the pot of greed, you got to go down to our form and enter them in. All right. See you guys in the next one. Pass turn.